Welcome to the Jerry T Podcast. I'm Jerry Thompson, joined by Dave Shields. And we're back, baby. Uh, we were off last week. That is my fault. In the history of this podcast, I've taken very, very few weeks off. And last week just happened to be one of them. Even had the MagicCon in Las Vegas last weekend that I ended up skipping because I was, I was a little under the weather, man. I wasn't feeling great. And... Even then, I would still probably record the podcast, but it was my throat that was killing me, so it was kind of impossible. Yeah, it sounded like it wasn't even on the table for you, so I wasn't going to push it. No, because it, yeah, it wasn't even just that, but it's just the overall feeling miserableness of it all and just, you know, having a, a very distinct lack of energy and everything. I was just like, I could maybe power through this if I if I had energy, if I felt normal, you know? But it was just, nah, we're we're just not gonna do this. So yeah, skipped skipped Vegas. I I got like the flight credit stuff, which is fine, but certainly not as good as getting my actual dollar dues back and everything. And I had some like soft plans lined up. You know, I was gonna fly into Phoenix and ride with uh Matt Costa and Chase Kovac and everything and like those people I haven't seen them in a while. That was going to be awesome. Uh, I was going to hang out with my new friend, Ryan uh, at Tron is bad on Twitter and like maybe catch some Pokemon with him and stuff, but just had to miss all of that and uh, sat at home, watch world's coverage, but did my best to recover and recuperate. And here we are. And we're back. Not the worst tournament to miss like that. Given that if you are going to sit around and in bed all day or all weekend, Getting world's coverage is a pretty nice consolation prize. Yeah, at least I had stuff to do, you know? It was good, but I don't know. It was, it was like after after Columbus started feeling a little under the weather and, you know, was was masked up all weekend and everything and took some uh, COVID tests when I got back and whatnot, and it was negative for that. And I don't know, still something, something got me, you know, could have been weather change or whatever, but it was just like on and off for like three weeks, you know, and then was just like pumping myself full of like Dayquil and nasal spray and whatnot. And I think, you know, fingers crossed, I think we're turning the corner here. I'm like still not a hundred percent, but I'm like 90, you know, so we're good. We're past it. Hopefully. I got that daycare immune system, right? So I have a three-year-old in daycare, so... Uh, getting sick for me these you know last three or four years is a very different experience than I've you know had historically in my life where I am basically permanently sick but recover very quickly. Right, and meanwhile, I am I'm a neat. I effectively do not leave my house, so I'm not exposed to a lot of this stuff. Like, you know, the best I got are are some vaccinations or whatever, right? But like, that's not going to necessarily help against anything and everything. And being in a convention center surrounded by people being on airplanes and whatnot it's like there's there's inevitably something out there and yeah maybe it hits me a little bit harder than it used to because like i used to not you know get sick very often it was like once every couple years or whatever and then generally when i would get sick it would hit me like really bad and i this was like mild but just mild enough to be like well i i don't know if i have covid or not so don't really want to go to vegas and risk that but also just like Traveling is going to make me feel worse inevitably. And then being around a bunch of people in the convention center, like I'll probably, you know, catch something else, like even if it's mild or whatever, it's like, I I just want to feel better. You know, like let's take a a week or two and just try and get there. And uh, dude, I'm I'm ready. Been playing hella magic too. 
that's exciting to hear. All, all different formats too, right? Where do we yes, want to start? Yes. Oh, man. Okay. So last week, if we did a cast, it, it might have been a limited episode, which is kind of weird because it, it would have been before Vegas, which is nice because there's the, the 100K limited open, but it would have been the week after the arena open. So it's like kind of good and bad where it's like I learned some stuff from playing in the open, but it wouldn't have necessarily been the most beneficial time for the audience, you know? Yeah. But now I don't think that there's any real reason to do a limited episode. I could be wrong about that, depending on what arena events are coming up. Like, So I'm pretty sure that there is an arena qualifier weekend this weekend that's limited. Oh, so yeah, that's some true. audience. But these are the ones where, you know, you need like a 90% win rate across 20 matches and like exactly one person qualified the last time. Yeah. So, so we're just going to call that the lottery anyway. Well, I mean, to be fair, I think that there are going to be more players in this one, which will hopefully mean that more than one person qualifies. I would hope so. But yeah, I actually I did. I did. I should have known that, but I forgot about it. But Last weekend, I also logged in like Saturday at like 8 p.m. or something on Arena and saw that there were limited play-in qualifiers. And I was like, I'm going to get a token real quick. And I did. So uh, I cashed the Arena open, not 2K, but I got five hundo, which is first time for me getting some money out of Arena, which is great because I've almost certainly sunk in like 2K over Arena's lifetime and have not gotten anything out of it. So all right, we're clawing back out we're trying to get unstuck and that's awesome and i think that gave me like a qualifier token too and i was trying to figure out if like this limited thing was different than the qualifier token that i got and i think that they are different so now i got two qualifier tokens that i'm pretty sure are different i don't think they're different Mm, we'll see we'll see (laughs) what because that when when you look at like kind of like the drop down menu when, when you have a token you see it they're listed as different things. Like one is for a specific weekend and one is just like, it just says like qualifier token or whatever. Oh, so you might have a generic and, one you can use whenever you want. And, and there's like a, a standard qualifier at some point It's on okay. my calendar. I will look October 21st. Uh, I just put arena qualifier. That's not super helpful, yeah. but given that this one is limited, I would assume that that one is the standard one. So I also have a qualifier token from cashing the cube arena open handful of weeks ago where you got the full 2k i got the full 2k no big deal no big deal but i will tell you my token does have a date or a timestamp on it right and that's why i'm intrigued to hear that yours is different yeah so one of mine has the date and another one doesn't and i don't know which is which but whatever so also while all of this is going on too i'm also playing on ladder and i'm also playing random seal deck things which are not related to the limited ladder, which is frustrating and bad, but whatever. So I'm playing hella limited and I go from, as you put it, wood rank to mythic in one week. Yeah. So not bad. Uh, It's definitely not uh, a speed run record or anything, but you know, not too shabby. And then I was sitting at like, you know, 300, like, high 200s or whatever and i like last time i looked it was you know top 250 qualify for a thing or whatever and i was like well i I should probably 
play to like grind for for this thing to get like the the qualifier entry and i was like oh wait now maybe i just got that from the open yeah uh, I, I spoiler like all you're going to get is more qualifier tokens to so the more of the same thing and they're already incredibly easy to get so like this is one of the most Whoa. infuriating parts of arena of like climbing the ladder gets you next to nothing five boosties dude five I'm boosties i'm ready yeah. to crack that and get my hundred gems because yeah. also at this point i've completed the set except for the mythics so good for you and i'm i'm a solid gold three which is going to get me three of those five boosties you know that doesn't seem quite fair yeah it doesn't <laughs> seem proportionate does it because <laughs> i feel like i've played i don't know three four x as much as you whatever anyway quick limited thoughts i guess for folks playing in the thing this weekend is i made a comment a couple weeks ago when you're just like, oh, any hot takes about the format or whatever. And I mentioned Roan's Grim Search and I still do love that card. But I, I think that I did not qualify that statement with like, I don't play many cards that cost more than three mana in a lot of my draft decks. And I have sent y'all a bunch of my like drafts and seals and stuff. And I, I really don't think that you guys look at them very much. I look at them all the time. I might I might ghost you on the majority of them. And I'm st- I'm getting a better feel for the cards. So I'm almost able to identify what three quarters of the things do. But I will tell you, looking at those and then, you know, watching the Pro Tour coverage and seeing a whole bunch of Twitter posts from the limited events in Vegas, like you certainly have a lower average curve than anybody else I've ever seen. Yeah. I, and to be fair, that's with like the very specific unique decks. Like I'm not sending you every single deck I draft, right? Yeah, because, probably only the good ones. Well, the the ones that are unique in in a way or a little bit different where it's like, oh, maybe they can learn something from this where it's just like sending you a random like, you know, teamer deck or something that just looks generically good. It's like, oh, good mana removal, some card advantage, like you curve up to like five and six, whatever. It's just like, yeah, obviously, you know, you're you're probably going to do okay with this. So yeah. I, I send y'all my weird shit, my weird shit that is good. Yeah, the most recent one I'm looking at that you sent is blue-white splashing all three of the other colors, and it is certainly not a place I ever would have ended up. Oh my, dude, this this deck was so wild because I, I, I definitely did not plan to be here. Like I was... Uh, I was like taking some some blue cards and then got maybe like a gingerbread hunter or something. The red cards that I had, which were like Witch Docker Frenzy and Torch the Tower. And I was like trying to angle to be like Teamer or whatever, but I kept seeing white cards. And then I got like another gingerbread hunter and Agatha's champion and just like a bunch of fixing and was just like blue white base. But I don't know, through the magic of like prophetic prism and stuff. Just like, who cares? You know, just play just, it all. Yeah, just do whatever you want. And with these decks specifically, it's like, yeah, you're maybe going to like stumble a little bit and maybe you are going to have some spells that are uncastable and maybe you're going to like fall behind. And at some point you need things that are going to maybe like catch you back up or maybe you should do a little bit more to make sure that you can keep your head above water. And also there's stuff like, having to pay two mana to like put prophetic prism into play in the first place can often cost you a decent amount. Right. So I'm just trying to make sure that my curve is very low. I have like comeback mechanisms, things like that. And uh, I think this, this deck was a very, very good example of that too. So I don't know. There's, there is weird stuff that is possible in this format. I like it a lot. So I think that's the overall theme is that there are a ton of different strategies that seem to be effective because while 
getting really low to the ground and having a low curve seems to be like the right place to be. These are not just like your typical, you know, one drop, two drop, three drop aggro decks. Like people are doing it a lot of different ways. Yeah. And, you know, I've seen plenty of like, oh, I'll just like, you know, play a prophetic prism or two in a crystal grotto and, you know, maybe splash one half of this adventure card or whatever. But you're here splashing both halves of it. Yeah, I mean, I, I so I had three prisms, a scarecrow guide, evolving wilds, grotto, not a lot of double pips in any of my spells. I have two blue cards that are double blue. And then a lot of my cards are two mana. Yeah. And, yep. and it, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And, you know, I got like the gingerbread hunters, threadbind click, cooped up. So uh, I have like light blades, some bargain stuff to go with the hatching plans. And then a, a decent amount of like, you know, five drop stuff at the top end or whatever. But it's basically like you have these things like the gingerbread hunters, which hopefully, you know, if you prism on two, cast it on three, especially if you're on the play, you get to kill their two drop. You know, that's that's awesome. Like you're you're going to be situated pretty well. Right. But in in the instances where your opponent is not really cooperating and they don't maybe maybe they don't play two drop or they play like a, a two three or something where your small removal spells can't kill their stuff. It's like you need ways to like actually kill the, the big things, too. So it's like ha making sure you have a good mix of answers that deal with like a wide variety of threats, I think is pretty important, too. Yep. That all lines up with my experiences as well. But I think the, the, the format, like, overall, I'll give, like, a pretty resounding two thumbs up to. And, like, I think the fact that it's this far into it and you've played this many games and we're still, like, talking about exploring different things is, like, a pretty big testament to its strength. And I, I didn't love it at first, if I'm being honest, but I think the biggest thing I'll remember about it after the fact is, like, it's just different. It, it is very feel different. like other formats. Yeah. I, I I'm drafting a decent amount of these multicolored nonsense decks you know it's like occasionally you know you just get a decent like rakdos or boros deck or like gruel even and you're just in your lane doing your thing and that's that's fine and cool but uh other times you're you know two colors with a splash or there are some that i've posted that have been closer to like solid three colors and it's just like doesn't matter the mana works whatever and then sometimes you're two colors splashing the other three you know whatever <laughs> it's fine so there is a decent amount of like variety and replayability to the format, which is great. And I think the bonus sheet helps a lot. And I think that the cards that they selected for it were very cool in most instances, but there is also some amount of like this, this kind of feels like fake to me. It's just like, I, I sort of wonder what the format would be like if people didn't have like a random bitter blossom or whatever in their deck, you know? Yeah. I mean, I do like most of those cards on the bonus sheet are somewhat build aroundy, and they are strong enough to feel cool and fun, but they aren't just like inherently overpowered. Yeah. I mean, they can be when your deck is like really humming, right? Yeah. Yeah. They're build arounds, right? So if but, you do, yeah. if you go the extra mile with them, they you can make them very powerful, but you got to work for it. Yeah. And at, at that point, I think that having that, sort of access in a limited format is very cool. But then there are games where, you know, you play something even like season of growth or whatever. And it's just like all of your cards are just like cantrip. Like I I've drafted enchantress effectively multiple times, Yeah, you know, and it's just like, this is, this is so sick and gross. And my opponents are still like trying to kill me with three ones or whatever. It's just sort of silly. 
So <laughs> I, I I like it, but I'm also like, I, I'm not sure if this should exist, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Utopia Sprawl is the one that always catches me where it's like the games with that on turn one are just a different ball game than normal. But that might be the only one that's just inherently generically strong. Well, I think Bitter Blossom is too, you know, but yeah. Sprawl yeah. is the one where you you don't require a build around and it's it's lower rarity too. And I guess Hatching Plans is kind of like that too, where it's like, God, this is so good. Yep. Yep. But yeah, Utopia Sprawl is the one where it's just like, they, they just don't make cards like that anymore. There's like no. one one drop mana accelerant what that also like splashes and has synergy with a bunch of other stuff in the format being both like an aura and an enchantment and whatnot. It's just like, all right, like this, this is maybe a little too much. I don't know. Yeah. The other thing I've quite enjoyed is the sealed format feels quite a bit different than the draft format. And I wish there was more reason to play sealed because I think both of us have been having quite a bit of enjoyment out of doing that. Yeah. I mean, a lot of what prompted me to try sealed was the Las Vegas event that I, you know, ended up not playing in or whatever, but like it has still been useful for the qualifiers as well. And if you are fortunate enough to have a limited RCQ, you know, like a store that wants to hold one of those around you and you like limited, I mean, that, that's, that's fortuitous for you. Right. And like, then you get to go and play sealed and you have a reason to, but I, I agree with you. Like it's, it's different enough where I think that if they offered them both on ladder, like you would see more people playing it, maybe more of an interest in it. Yeah. I don't really understand the logic and not having the sealed format be part of the ladder. Yeah. And- it's, it's tough. Like I could see it being maybe difficult to integrate or like once you start trying to pair based on MMR and record instead of like just record, then maybe things get a little bit dicier if there are not that many people in the player pool or whatever. But it's like we're playing games of limited. Why does this not affect our ranking? Why is it going for nothing? I mean, for the top 1%, as you get to like, you know, the top of the ranking, I could see a world where like you don't want people to just like open sealed decks and drop until they get the nut sealed pool to like push ranks. But like there's not really a lot of incentive. There's, they, they do that in draft two. You're right. And there's not really a whole ton of incentive to do that because you don't really get much for it. No, you're kind of like farming ranking at the expense of money, you know, and, but I, I honestly don't think they care about that. You know, maybe yeah, it damages like, the quote unquote integrity of the ladder, but like, come on, you know, the, the ladder is not necessarily full of integrity or meritocracy already to begin to with. To begin with. hundred percent, hundred percent. It's so. like, I, I, I don't work a nine to five job. So I have basically unlimited time to grind arena, which is why I'm able to make mythic in a week or whatever. But like, you know, not everyone has that. Right. Yeah. And I would wager you probably got there in less matches played than the average person, but uh, we'll just assume that. Yeah, probably. But, you know, again, fortunate enough to have been able to hone my magic skills over the course of two decades, Fair. which Obviously, not a lot of people are able to do that, too. Anyway, so been playing a, a bunch of limited, uh, posted a bunch of stuff uh, like decks in our Discord in addition to some random thoughts and stuff. And yeah, people were kind of like asking about that, talking about it and stuff. And it was cool to be able to contribute to a place that I, I normally am not able to contribute. And I like when this happens where I'm actually incentivized to play a limited format. And it ends up being a banger. But like... 
I, I keep saying this, it's just like for the last two years and maybe like three years at this point, it's just like every limited format that I've played has kind of felt like a banger. Yeah, they really have done a good job with limited over the last handful of years. Yeah. And so I- now now standard is maybe making a comeback, but uh I, I kind of sympathize with the folks that are like, make limited more relevant or whatever. And it's just like, yeah, maybe they should, you know, if like the formats are going to be like this good. Right. Yeah. And if coverage isn't going to be a big thing at many events to begin with, why not? Yeah. Then it doesn't matter. Then it's just all about the player experience rather than the spectator experience. And the spectator experience for limited has been traditionally pretty bad. And yeah. I mean, I will say like the spectator experience for limited, I think scales quite a bit with how much limited experience that you have. So, no, of like, course, of course. As an example, like this weekend watching worlds, like I had played the limited format quite a bit, mostly to try to be able to discern and decipher the screenshots that you were sending me, but watching somebody in the future draft when I knew what all the cards did and could relate to it was a wildly different experience than the last handful of pro tours where I didn't have that. Yeah, compare that to my experience watching the Lord of the Rings Pro Tour where I purposefully stayed away from that set and me not knowing like any of the cards. Just again, seeing like random Twitter rumblings where it's like, you know, Red Black or maybe Grixis or whatever is the best or whatever. But it's like, I don't know what any of the specific cards do except for like the cards that show up in modern, you know? Yeah. And it was like, yeah, I should maybe just not be watching this because it's kind of useless. Just stay away from it. And both of the four, like, so these last two formats, and I think this has kind of been a trend, is like the level of complexity is kind of going up, right? Just the amount of different yeah. things happening, the amount of different pieces and game pieces going on. Like, if you don't know what's going on, it's going to get confusing quick. Yes, exactly. And there's just not a great way to necessarily convey all that information in, at least in a way that's easy, you know? Yeah. I wish there was more reasons to want to play limited. I'll say that the... The arena opens are some of the my absolute favorite events that just exist in Magic right now, period. They're a ton of fun, and they're the best, and they're limited, so that's probably something to lean into more, and I'd love to see more of those. But past that, there's not much of a reason. Yeah, I'm <laughs> I'm kind of like souring on that or like disagreeing a little bit with that because it's just like the setups, the how they're designed or whatever is not necessarily the best where like you said you just have to go like i don't know 20 and 2 or something or whatever to qualify in in sealed you know just like uh that's that's just not not great and i I tend to like best of three more than best of one that's not necessarily always offered or whatever um so yeah, yeah you know it's it's weird but I think the qualifiers are a little bit rougher, right? But the the opens with cash prizes where you get as many bullets as you want on day one, you have the choice of playing best of three or best of one. And then day two is broken out into, you know, get you, there's two drafts. If you do well in the first one, you get to play the second one. You get a loss to give. I think all of that's awesome. Yes, I, I definitely agree with that. The op- Yeah, the opens are good. The, the qualifiers do kind of stink. You're right. Yeah. But- okay, so because... I was playing a bunch of limited. That meant I wasn't playing a lot of modern, but still watching a decent amount of modern and flashback to two or three weeks ago when I was like, yo, don't let me play Omnath again. Well, I, I hope you understood that that was with the, the caveat that unless things change. Oh, here we go. What changed? The beans, man. <laughs> Dude, the beans are loose. They have been unleashed upon the world. If, if you have you seen this, if you've been looking at deck lists, I yes. don't think you've played with it at all. I have not dabbled into playing Beanstalk myself, but I have been playing some modern. 
Modern is still the format I enjoy the most playing randomly. So if I'm going to like fire up Magic Online and I'm not going to play Limited, like Modern is the only thing I'm going to touch. Yeah. Like unless there's a challenge, right? On the weekends, I'll play a challenge in any format. Just like those, those tend to be more fun. But you're not going to catch me in a standard or a Pioneer anytime <laughs> soon. No, no. So how many cards are in your Beanstalk deck? 60. Oh, come on. Okay. Been winning? I haven't been playing that much, but okay. I've been I've been brewing. So again, you know, I was playing limited a bunch, but I I I had the itch. I was like, you know, I want to get my game on, and I was trying to. So so what I do on arena, this is not this is not great. This is just me. This is just me like loving to draft decks or open sealed pools and build them or whatever. But I don't really want to play the games, so I'm in all four queues at once. Yeah, so you don't have to play the games, but you don't feel like you're spewing value. And then, yeah, and then they brought in the quick drafts. So then I was in five queues at once. And so I was trying to like, all right, I should probably finish some of these before they like close down the queues and I just get, you know, no prizes or whatever. And so I was trying to like keep that to a minimum. And I think like the last draft deck I had up was like kind of mid or like not fun or whatever. So I was like, you know, I'll, I'll go on Magic Online, see what's going on. Right. And I saw that I was one in a, a modern league. <laughs> from like three weeks ago with creativity i think it was like from before uh we went to columbus or maybe it was like right after we got back from columbus and i was like okay i guess i guess i'll finish this off and i remember why i was 1-0 and stopped playing was because again i this is like a league where i played against mono black coffers round one you know hold and that thought <laughs> keep going yeah and so i i play three rounds of this league and play against uh <laughs> play against eggs now second sunrise is banned they have face reward what do you think my opponent was doing that made them suddenly think hey maybe eggs is a thing again i can't possibly imagine but i will tell you that when this deck was good it was busted so i'm not totally yes. shocked to see it you know people still like trying to make it work oh i was i was kind of scared especially from like the creativity side of things, right? It's like, we don't have a ton of ways to necessarily like interact with linear combo decks or whatever. So they had elsewhere flask and, uh, you know, preordain, of course, sure, whatever. But what they were trying to do was now in addition to face reward, you have beseech the mirror, a lot of bargain targets, and that's effectively just more copies of faith reward. Oh, that's awesome. So I was like, okay, this is definitely not a, a thing that I thought of. And that is pretty cool, honestly. I mean, that's a lot of black mana for that deck off the top of my head. But if you can make the mana work. Well, so you have Lotuses and they had all the Elsewhere Flasks. Yep. And I think I think there might have been another thing that they were doing. But, uh, you know, I could also see you like free rolling an Urborg or whatever. Like, uh, who cares? So did we win? Uh, I won. I won narrowly. Skin of our teeth. Got Skin it. of our teeth. So defeated mono black coffers, then eggs, then like, yeah, I don't know if like the eggs was round two or round three or whatever, but I also played against like rhinos in there somewhere. Cool match, fun, whatever. Uh, won that one. Three zero, feeling pretty good. Round four, mono black coffers again. I'm like, God damn it. You know, like, yeah. this is so like, I understand that the deck is getting like a little bit more popular, but it's like, I don't want this to be my modern experience. So I beat them as well. And now I'm 4-0, 
And part of the reason I'm playing this league is insomnia. I like laid down, tried to sleep, couldn't sleep. So it's now my, my sleep schedule is completely destroyed because of this day also. But I'm like getting to the point where I'm like kind of sleepy again, but I was like, you know, I'm what I'm four Oh now I kind of, I'm, I'm priced in. I got to finish this league. Right. And the entire time also I'm playing this league, I'm just like kind of want to play against beans, but like also know that they're probably going to crush me. Right. So naturally round five, uh, I see that I'm paired against a, a pretty good friend of mine who lives in Spain. His name's Baro. No, I'm pro tour finalist. No big deal. But he is like very good player, very smart player, you know, fetches a triumph on one. I was just like, all right, you know, this, this is it. The true test, like playing the, the last round of a league against the thing that I think changes modern to the point where Omnath is like actually good and playable. And I said like creativity was mostly a better version of Omnath. And I think that that has been kind of reversed again. And Sure enough, he absolutely destroys me. Like the games are just, dude, they're not close at all. It's funny because my experience with creativity, which I have not played a ton of since the last time, just been burnt out on the deck a little bit, is the opposite where I was actually beating the Omnath deck and lost to Coffers twice. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. Coffers, Coffers doesn't seem hard. I don't know. Maybe like maybe it's my opponents or something. I don't know. I mean, if, if they chain rings, right, that was kind of like, you know, I lost to Doomwake in one of the challenges, which definitely got me. And then I lost a later. No, I thought round. we were not going to talk about that. I know, I know. Listen, it happened. Okay. And what we, I will tell you is, we don't talk about if we ever lose to Doomwake, man. No, just, I don't admit it. It's never. It's basically no. never happened in my life. A L- little bit of context here for the non-Doomwake like listeners out there. If if Devin is listening and gets offended, that's fine. He can. Oh yeah, totally (laughs) acceptable. But like y'all are from the same area. You've known each other for a long time. It's, it's funny. It's a fun thing to joke about. I've known him for an incredibly long time. And I'd like to think my record against him lifetime is really good, but I don't actually know that for sure, but we're just going to go with that. Um, Well, yeah. I mean, you're too scared to look it up too, right? Yeah, definitely not going to look it up. Don't want to fact check myself, but we grew up playing the same PTQ circuit for a lot of years. And I still see him at the random RCQ. If I ever get dragged out there here and there. Yeah, of course. Yeah, so that actually prompted me where I actually played a modern challenge with coffers. And I'm not going to oh, say no. I, I didn't do oh, super no. well, but like the deck felt pretty freaking good. Uh, oh, no. Yeah, so I might be getting brainwormed, and I was very reluctant. I was hesitant to even tell you this. I was like borderline not going to admit it because I knew this was going to come. Listen, I, I sent you a screenshot at one point, I think, before Columbus of me playing like mono black Asmo Persist or whatever. Yep. And... Dude, it's fine. You know, we just got to get it out of our system sometimes. It's okay. <laughs> and it's fair. way better to do that in maybe not a challenge, but like a random league or something. It's just like play it, fact check yourself, be like, okay, yep, this is actually as bad as I thought it was going to be or whatever. <laughs> and now I just don't have to do this ever again. It's Eliminated cool. that. Yeah. The weird thing is the actual, like, and modern is like an extreme of this, like all the eternal formats, right? Vintage and legacy are the same where the decks you play against and the experiences in the leagues is wildly different than the challenge. Yes. No, the challenge is people are trying to kill you. The leagues are like people doing the same shit as us. We're yeah. Like, trying to get, trying this out, to of get their system. shit out of their system. Yeah. It's yeah. like, I, I think, you know, aspiring spike has done a, a lot of good things for both modern and like magic as a whole. I think he has not done and, a good thing for my league experience. No, I'm because <laughs> yeah, like he's he's part of the problem in that regard. Where people are just like, I'm I'm gonna be the next spike. I'm gonna just build whatever the hell I want and play it, and like maybe five zero, and then people are gonna copy my list and you know blah blah blah. And it's just like, look, man, the the things that you are doing are good. You are getting people 
both like engage in magic and like retaining that engagement because it's like every day on stream he basically plays like a new deck you know except unless there's something that he like hyper focuses on and like thinks is really good or whatever but like even that is good too and he wins a lot yes yeah exactly and yeah so other people get the ideas of like oh i saw him do that i can do that and then next thing you know they're playing beseech eggs right right and then i don't know they lose to a mana leak or whatever it's like uh what am i doing with my life yeah what kind of nonsense got me here so yeah but this this is kind of the the funnest part of magic online for me is when i'm playing on an account that not a lot of people know and i play against a friend of mine and if something notable happens in the match or it's like at a notable time i get to like message them after and like tell them it was me and we get to talk about it you know uh so i sent varo the screenshot of me being 4-0 in the league and like losing round five and like sent him like the the angie face yeah it's it's cool too because it's like uh, it was it was through Twitter DMs, right? So it's like I see our previous conversation and stuff, and it's like, man, I haven't talked to this dude in a long time. Uh, this gives me a good reason to like reach out, reconnect, whatever. So we we kind of like uh, BS for a little bit, and it was it was just fun. And he was just like, wait, were you were you this person? I was like, dude, who else is gonna cast like Mana Leak and Chain to the Rocks against you? You know, it's like <laughs> that that seems like a very me thing to do, right? Total nonsense. Right. And I was just like, dude, you, you know, you, you kicked my ass. You just absolutely destroyed me. It was awesome. Yeah. Love, love playing on alt accounts for various reasons, but, uh, yeah. Creativity, man, probably not it. Uh, I brewed around with Omnath, uh, a decent amount and, uh, have, have it like sleeved up in real life. I am missing some beanstalks, but that is it. And I'm, I'm ready to go, man. I got some, some ideas. I, don't even think that I need to get the more wild stuff out of my system. Like the, the various things that I see people doing you see that like time warp is showing up in people's decks. I like bought a, a time warp on, on moto. I guess like when we were playing our games, like way back when I had a time warp in my deck just to try it. And you like yelled at me. Yeah. That's a card that I could see. That's a brainworm card for you for sure. Yes, absolutely. And you know, people are out here time warping and it's, it's tempting. You know what I mean? Yeah, like it doesn't take much, but it's like that's one of the cards, especially when you got like the nice like Tempest ones. Like, oh damn, this looks so good, right? But yeah, I'm just like, nah, I don't even think that that's necessarily correct, like the right thing to be doing. But I also have thoughts that the deck isn't necessarily built correctly. It's just like you take the old list and it's like, oh, you have a bunch of like five mana pitch elementals, so you just add Beanstalk to it and then maybe add some more uh five mana elementals and you just you know call it a day or whatever but i i don't even necessarily think that like the ring with beanstalk is like the best backup engine you know what i mean i don't keep going what do you mean you don't want to play the i so, don't get where you're going uh or or even like the way the deck was built i don't think is necessarily a good bean deck where it's like once you have bean and also because of now having more furies in your deck it's like you kind of want to find ways to get more red cards and stuff too but like teferi's value was dropping a decent amount in modern already i felt and i i realized that teferi is kind of a piece of the engine where it's a thing that like helps you remove the one ring if the counters are getting to be too much and like maybe you don't have an omnath or whatever you know like it is part of that but it's like i don't think that teferi should necessarily be a part of the decks anymore and 
the ring with Beanstalk to me is weird. And uh, even like Omnath with Beanstalk, like I recognize that, you know, Omnath pitches to all the cards and, and whatever, but it's like, oh, weird to be playing a bunch of like four mana engine cards alongside Beanstalk when they don't trigger Beanstalk and are just like more Beanstalks, but bad kind of where it's like, I, I don't think that this is necessarily the way to go, but it's like, would maybe like Risen Reef and Beanstalk instead of the ring be better, which, you know, maybe it is, maybe it isn't, but those things have more synergy than Beanstalk and the one ring. You know what I mean? I'm with you there. There's certainly not as much synergy with those cards, but I'm still struggling to imagine what a deck list would look like where we tried to move away from this direction. Yeah. And I'm working on that. Like I, I have my list that is Teferi list at the moment. Maybe, maybe that's right. Maybe that's wrong. Who knows? But you know, upside is you get to maybe fit in some more red cards for your fury count. Like I get to play a couple fables, which not everyone has. Some people do, but not everyone get to play like a magmatic sinkhole, which I think is just completely reasonable, but also like a red card and an extra thing that triggers beanstalk and, and things like that. So it's like, you know, this, this all kind of like checks out and looks pretty good to me. The other thing that I will say that is, maybe gonna kind of give the game away and bite me in the future but i i find that just not a lot of people listen to me in general so it's kind of free for me to say it is i think that right now specifically the four color deck should be playing a force of vigor main deck whoa because now it's just good in the mirror matches and the mirror has supplanted a lot of the other potential mid-range decks out there that would otherwise be taking up metagame share. Like creativity was kind of making a comeback. And I don't know, things like mono black coffers even now, where you're like, oh, you know, with creativity, I struggle against coffers. But now that the Beanstalk deck exists, I think that creativity's matchup there is way worse. And also I think the Beanstalk deck is now just much better against mono black than it previously used to be. So I think that people who are even playing mono black might start playing Beanstalk stuff. Yeah, I'm buying, I'm starting to buy what you're selling a little bit. So yeah, blowing up Beanstalk and Binding. Like if they didn't have Binding also, but even even just having four Bindings and you know, like you've played the like creativity versus four color stuff, you're looking to like board in like a Nature's Claim or or Terra Sunder or whatever, right? And part of that is because of Binding and now they have like a lot of targets for it. Yeah, yep. Terra Sunder is like a card that's still really high on my book, like being able to kill the ring and binding. And now they're adding beanstalks to this, which don't get me wrong. That's not ever a place I want to be. But if that's kind of the floor for the card, you know, you got my attention. Yeah. And I mean, it's a thing that you're going to probably have to do anyway. So, yeah, maybe it doesn't feel good, but, you know, it is what it is. And, you know, that's that's one of the things that I'm also looking to do is like, how do you like remove this card? at parody basically and kind of come up short like the the best thing is like maybe playing narset or whatever but yeah are we uh, totally off delighted halfling yeah i think you kind of have to be but also that allows you to play kahira got it and with with eight pitch elementals you like having the the extra piece of cardboard you know and also now the curve of the deck at least the way i built it is very light on three drops anyway you're you just have like a glut of twos and fours so then like kahira on three and solitude is completely fine yep and i think elish norn might be the other non-elemental that people sometimes play that makes kahira awkward is that the only other one uh obsidian charma too yeah but 
I, I would say that specifically the the Charma matchup, like you can still do that because you don't really care about having Kahira against Tron anyway. Yeah, not so. going to matter. And I haven't, Tron has not been doing particularly well, but the hate for it is still seems to be there. So it is. And I'm proud of people. It's, I'm proud it's, of people. Yeah. Yeah. Keep them down. Kick them while they're down. Yeah. Cause normally it's just like, oh, I haven't played against Tron in like my last tournament or two tournaments or whatever. It's like time to cut all this stuff. But then looking at lists from like the challenges and Vegas and the various events that they had there and stuff. It's like, nah, people are still doing like Besaju's Alpine moons, Charmaz, crumble to dust, whatever. And it's like, hell yeah. Cool. So, so there's a lot to explore in modern still, but you know, scam still the boogeyman, which it is. That's, that's the other part of the equation is like, I am completing my scam deck. Like I, I just need uh void walkers at this point and maybe some odds and ends sideboard cards. And I just ordered some stuff, got some Hidetsugo's second rights, you know, just in case. Uh, yeah. But yeah, we were, we were talking about that before the cast where you were just like, oh, I just placed an order. And I'm just like, I just placed an order. We're like talking about stuff that we bought. So I think that's maybe more relevant for standard. But we, we can talk about standard now if you want. Talk about the things that we're buying and why. I mean, do, do you want to close the books on modern and just wrap with Scam being the boogeyman is no fun for anybody? Uh, yeah, I mean, we, we've kind of talked about that, right? But it might be fun for the scam players. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know how much sympathy I have for the scam players. (laughs) Well, I mean, uh, I, I may about to be one. So how dare you? I, so I had griefs in my cart and removed them last minute because they costed more than all, you know, 200 of the standard cards I was going to buy put together. All Uh, right. Tell you what I, if, if, and when. I ever get my legacy deck back from Mason Clark. And to be fair, this, this one was on me. He was in Vegas. He had my deck. He told me he was going to put it all on red. So maybe that happened. I guess I haven't heard the follow up about that. (laughs) So, you know, maybe it just doesn't exist anymore. But if I ever get that back, I had three griefs there. And then for some reason I have now bought, I bought one grief to complete my set on two different occasions. So I actually have an extra grief for you. So got it. uh, Only buy three. three. Only buy three. I will. And I spent the weekend birding Adam Snook like very easily win one of the modern challenges over the weekend with Scam. And I'll say I had quite a bit of fun watching him play and some of the decisions coming up. But like, man, is that deck miserable to play against? How do you know? Was it because all of his opponents were complaining? Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. It very much was so. And like, listen, like the actual decision trees for the deck and the gameplay itself, like was super interesting and fun and dynamic. And I think all that was good. And I think there was plenty of places to like differentiate yourself. And I even took like multiple screenshots and even sent you one or two of like spots where I wasn't even sure what we should have done after staring at it for 10 minutes. Send me more. But you sent me one, exactly one. And I was like, yo, this rules. Like, let's 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 do this more. Let's talk about this more. But I guess that was maybe a product of me like sitting home alone. You yeah. Know? You did the same thing I did you unlimited where you had all these thoughts, but didn't share them. So that's how it goes. But wait, what are you saying? I didn't share limited thoughts with you. No, you share the limited thoughts and I have all these responses, but I, I don't fully share them. And the same oh, is true with yeah. my modern screenshots where I added you and you know, hours later we, it takes us a while. We're not on the same schedules. We'll get there. I still think there's like a huge problem with like the disparity and like how satisfying it is to, to win with scam versus how not fun it feels to play against. And like, I think that disparity in and of itself is like a problem that I don't know how it can be addressed, but like, I do want to take a minute and just kind of acknowledge it. And, and that's 
completely fair and valid. It's just, I don't know how we fix it. And, you know, it's not my job to design the cards or whatever, but it's like even coming up with a thing specifically that's good against them. It's just like, I don't know what, what sort of card you would create. I don't even know what it would look like. Like I, I, I I mentioned this uh, about the North Carolina tournament I played in where like I mulligan to play against scam and the card I put on the bottom was a veil of summer. I mulliganed on the play and I bottomed a veil of summer. And I think it was right. And it's just like, you know, veil should be one of those cards that you, you think is like pretty good against them. Yep. And And I would argue it is, it is, but it was just like, I had turned one halfling and like, you know, Teferi ring or whatever. And it was just like, yeah, there's maybe not enough time for this. Yep. So hopefully four color beanstalk is a thing and hopefully it ends up, you know, beating up on scam as much as it, it appears that it is. Yeah, and Omnath was already pretty solid against them, and now you have more Furies, so you have more ways to deal with getting scammed, like more ways to top deck out of it. Beanstalk, another fairly robust engine. You know, there there are Bowmaster considerations, but again, you're playing like more Furies and stuff too, so maybe that's okay. Yeah, so if there was a modern event tomorrow, I'd probably be scamming. Okay, yeah, I, I think it's a, a coin flip for me. It's like whichever deck I have fully completed probably by that point. Yeah, if Mason ever gives you your deck back. Well, okay, you know, again, this this was my fault. I was the one who did not go to Vegas. And I was just like, you know, what what's the next thing you're going to, <laughs> you know? So I, I think the next thing that you're going to that I am more likely than not going to join you for is SCG Dallas, which is in a handful of weeks. Let me, let me check the old calendar again. I think uh, it's two, two weeks from, or three weeks from Saturday. Yeah, so... This weekend, I think I have nothing. The weekend after, I have a semi-local modern RCQ. Exciting. So that's tight. Uh, Week after that, there is MXP Portland and NRG Indy, neither of which I think I'm going to go to. And then, yes, uh, Dallas is the week after that. Also, that's the weekend of the arena qualifier. So that is going to be fun for me because I am going to be jamming in between rounds on my phone. Doing all the Well, not if you're playing Beanstalk and going to time every round. Well, that's Sunday, right? It's like a standard 10K, then a modern 10K. I think it's two 10Ks, but I'm not sure the order. Is it modern than standard or? I thought it was standard first. I could be wrong, but yeah, that honestly may affect my deck choice. Yeah, your scam rounds certainly aren't going to last as long. No, I, and I, I mean, if it's, if it's for standard, it's like, oh, uh, okay, well. Yeah. Yeah, maybe, maybe we've got to think about this a little bit more. I'm not going to like play mono red or whatever, but. You know, maybe maybe something a little bit faster. So maybe you're right. Just standard is faster too. Standard is Saturday. Okay, which so. is weird because normally the Sunday one is the one that just gets least the the lesser amount of people because you know sometimes people can commit to like a Saturday but not necessarily a two day thing or like they're leaving Sunday. Yeah, and you'd think that modern would be the one that you just want to like pack the house with on Saturday, but. Man, the the star cities seem to be like trending down. Like we're now at two 10Ks and only top two qualify for the regional championship. So, well, it was only top two before, wasn't it? It was top. Well, it was top two in the no, it was it was top four in the uh, main event ones. Oh, really? Yeah. And going back like a year, like when they first started having them post COVID, I went to one of the ones in Dallas about a year ago right now. And it was a 25K, the main event. Yeah, so here's the thing with all that. Well, okay, first let me say, it is weird that the amount of invites gets reduced, especially at a time when 
the overall payout gets reduced. Like, I don't think that those two things are related because okay. I, I understand them reducing the payout and I'll get to that in a second, but them reducing the amount of invites is not necessarily a thing that's up to their discretion, right? Yeah, I don't know how they calculate those things, right? Obviously, that's something that like, you know, DreamHack is in charge of and they get to decide. I mean, I, I think it's still Wizards. Okay. DreamHack, as far as I know, is just the people running the event. They are just putting on the tournament. I feel like it has to be DreamHack, though, because the 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 events they have in Europe that are run by a different company, whatever it is, Legacy something, they have like top 32 qualify. Huh. And then That's... here we are in the U.S., and I get, again, they get four or 500 players, but these Star Cities are still, you know, two, 300 players, and we're yeah. at top four, so we're like fighting for scraps here. But that, that could be a product of there are more RCQs run in the U.S. because the U.S. is just a bigger place. Potentially, yes. Yep, and, and that would there be are logical. More, there are more individual locations too, right? Yeah. I'm so, just, I, like, yeah. Selfishly, like, I just want a way to qualify for the regional championship that doesn't involve me going to an RCQ. So I was I was kind of ready to to rally against this a little bit because this this has been a problem in the past. I know I'm getting kind of off topic, but you know it is what it is. Go, you go. But for Worlds last weekend, right? Part of my my Worlds protest and also some of the stuff with the MPL was overall mistreatment of folks who were very specifically not North America adjacent and. Uh, this typically affects Latin America and APOC regions more than the others because like Europe is definitely the second biggest, right? But in a lot of instances, there are things like uh, Latin America gets like the amount of qualifiers reduced or just like the amount of total invites that they have access to reduced. And then things like APOC were numerous where it's just like travel is much harder on them when there are things like online tournaments, the the time zone stuff makes it really terrible for them because obviously they're catering mostly to an NA audience, right? As far as like PTQ start times or whatever. And also things in relation to the amount of like total qualification slots and opportunities and stuff. And like, we've seen this like time and time again, where it's just like, wow, it seems like someone who is very good, like in the conversation for like maybe best player in the world at the moment comes from like Latin America or the APOC region. And like, you know, why is this? Where's this person been? Like, how have they suddenly like come out of nowhere? And it's just because like they, they get like three invites a season or something. And it just, it takes a while for like that one person to qualify. They just don't have that many chances or opportunities. Right. So I, I didn't know specifically what the breakdown was for the amount of total invites given out per region, but I just suspected based on maybe my past biases that, uh, you know, NA was getting the lion's share and APOC and LATAM were getting kind of screwed. And then like Europe was solidly in a second place, but like maybe not as, I don't know, just swimming in it as much as like NA would be or whatever. So if they have, you know, maybe fewer stores, fewer RCQs in general, fewer invites, the big tournaments giving out like top 32 invites, I think is kind of rad as a way to balance that. It makes it seem like maybe it's not like a one for one conversion or whatever, but at least like they are paying attention to it. And then worlds. Uh, I didn't, I didn't look specifically at like the, the country breakdown or whatever, but the top eight was very pleasant for me as there were two North American players. And then 
everyone else was from a different country or region. It was like it it was truly like a world's tournament. Very diverse, which yes. is awesome. So love to see that. That is good. And maybe the top eight was an outlier and maybe, you know, the overall composition of the tournament was skewed or whatever. And obviously that kind of has to do with like, oh, well, maybe just like the North Americans had a really good win rate and they qualified more people than average or whatever. But, you know, I, I am curious in those numbers. I just haven't gone through the work of actually doing it because it, like, what am I going to do with that information? You know, like make a baby wine post on Twitter that, you know, maybe people read and like or whatever, but don't ultimately care about or do anything about. So, yeah, well, it might not be a baby wine. It might actually be a testament to this being a success. And I do think that I liked the feel like, listen, there only being a hundred players, I think was less than ideal from my perspective. I'd love to see that number go up, but like the diversity in the field I thought was awesome. And I think that's almost a direct result of inviting players from the winners of, or like, you know, top two or whatever it is from different regions of the regional championships. Yeah. I think I I agree with that. Like once you get away from like the 16 player or 32 player model for the old world and you go back to kind of a more traditional pro tour world style thing, I think increasing the number and making it, truly like a world's encompassing event is awesome and 100 does seem low but also the pro tours have had like two to three hundred people you know so like those are a little bit smaller too so i kind of get it the thing about worlds that does actually piss me off is the fact that like top 16 doesn't requalify for anything it doesn't no so ken takahama lost two winning ins in a row, finished in the top 16, and is not qualified for even, like, the next RC. That is preposterous. Right. And, uh, like, conversely, the top eight, I just read this today, I don't know the validity of it, but, like, I saw that someone said that the top eight qualifies for all three Pro Tours next year and Worlds. I just, I can't imagine. So ninth place, ninth place gets nothing. Well, I guess some cash or whatever, but, like, as far as, like, future invites and qualifications go, like... You got to go to your RCQ the next next week. Right. And I can't uh, it, it also top 16 also or like the, the tournament in general doesn't count for like the adjusted match points that they use to figure out who qualifies for worlds also. Yeah, I, I'm not as offended about that. And I, I think that the dynamic of that could be a little bit different, right? Of like worlds is like kind of the penultimate round of this season and like adjusted match points is like a next season thing and you've got to have a line somewhere. But like not giving I, I think those... Folks, I think an invite is unreal. Yeah, I think not doing adjusted match points for Worlds is fine because it's it's a TRGR situation, right? It's like if you're able to qualify for Worlds, then, well, you're just going to have like more points to work with for this thing. That means that qualifying for Worlds means that you have a very high chance of then qualifying for the next Worlds. Exactly, right? exactly. And I, so I'm cool with that. But like, I, yo- I'm cool with that too, but it's just an extra kind of like you know, twisting of the knife when you're not giving away any invites or even like RC qualifications, you know? Yeah, it seems like a pretty big gap and a pretty big miss. So super frustrating on that end, especially, again, like I I am very cognizant of the fact that Worlds or like Magic is a global game and this is one of the few opportunities for, you know, those, those folks to like, qualify just in general you know like again latin america apoc specifically where you don't have a lot of opportunities to qualify for the pro tour period you finally get to the pro tour and then it's 
even harder to stay on. And then you play in something like Worlds, you qualify, you demonstrate like a very good record over the season and then doing well in that tournament, unless you're in the top eight, doesn't get you anywhere. You know, yeah. like, that is effectively like, again, taking away like opportunities for them to qualify. And, you know, this is the meritocracy argument where it's just like this, this it doesn't exist in, in magic. Um, because there are people in places that don't have the same amount of opportunities as everyone else. So, yeah. And we're never going to be able to fully fix that. Right. But like, no, of there course, are definitely not. things we can do to help adjust for it. If, if we want to assume for a second, one of the, I, I would have a hypothesis that worlds was probably a more diverse field as far as, you know, country of origin than the average pro tour this year. But then the fact that it has like doesn't have the same requalification mechanisms that the other pro tours do seems wild. Yes. So maybe maybe some kinks to work out there. We'll, we'll figure it out. You know, yeah. I'd like, like to hope that it was just an oversight and not a conscious and deliberate decision, but we'll see. Yeah. So Ken Takahama specifically is is an NA player and has qualified like qualified for worlds by doing well in a bunch of RCs top eight to two of the North American RCs this year, you know. Like I said, had two winning ins and lost. Well, so kind of lost them both, but like the last winning in in oh, the last scooped. round, yeah, they went to time and he scooped his opponent in the top eight because his opponent was like slightly ahead, you know? So, yeah, props to him and like respect for doing that. But like now he's just like, I can't imagine having to play in an RCQ after that. Right. Uh, hopefully, I, I don't know what the payout was, but like, you know, hopefully the money softens the blow, right? But like, it's still just like, oh, come on, you know, this. So Josh Cho famously is kind of responsible for like the, the silver invites getting a rule because he top aided his very first pro tour that he qualified for top 40, even uh, Avison restored. And then that was the last pro tour of the season. So it didn't get him enough pro points to like hit anything really. And then, so he played in the, the top four gave him an invite to pro tour return to Ravnica, which he played and like, didn't requalify there. And then it was just like, all right, back to BTQs. Like you show up, you top eight your first pro tour. And then it's just, you get one invite and that's it. Like nothing else, like no, no like points to work with, no whatever. And then they eventually gave like silver an additional qualification basically because of that sort of thing. And I think that Ken Takahama should be sort of like the next instance of this, because this is just kind of silly. We're like, the dude got to Worlds because he was grinding all year and then did supremely well in this tournament and then just immediately falls off again. It's so silly. It, it makes no sense. So I, I got the numbers. I pulled it up. The, at least according to, the, according to the fact sheet, you're right. Only the top eight receive invitations to the next, all of the next year, right? They're basically gravy trained for a year. Yeah, which I think is good. The, and the, the problem is just... No one else gets anything. Which what happens after that? Yeah. So the prize pool itself is $1 million. Yep. That's awesome. That's it's, a it's a lot. So what does top 16 get? So first is 100K, second's 50K, third, fourth, 25, fifth through eighth, 20. I think that's a pretty good breakdown. That's Nine, a lot of money. A lot of money. Nine through 16th is more than you could possibly guess, and it's $18,000. Holy shit. That, so it, dude, that's a lot. It's a lot, and it's only a 2K delta from 5th through 8th to 9th through 16th. So the difference between 8th yeah. and 9th is only two grand. But obviously, the, the the other difference, which is huge, is three Pro Tour invites plus a world's invite next year. Yeah. yeah. The money is good. No no question. 
you know? And I dude, I feel like they just didn't talk about that enough on coverage because I, I, I watched like every minute of coverage. I don't think they ever mentioned that stuff. And they absolutely should have because these prizes are some of the best distribution and like financial incentives I've seen for a Magic tournament. Like uh, these arena things, nonsense aside, right? Yeah. yeah. Or, or like the mocks or whatever. You yeah. Know? But, you know, like some of these other nonsense tournaments aside, like actual how, pro tour level formats. Dude, what is, what is the highest that a pro tour top 16 has previously been like five or six thousand dollars and the top 16 for this is like at least 3x that yeah top 16 at pts was like 5k for like most of like you know the last decade but that's incredible so, jerry honestly. dead last place do you want to take a guess five four okay awesome yeah i four mean that, that's like last. that's like mox level that's that's pretty good that's pretty yeah, nice it's, it's really awesome so like and i actually think that you're totally right as far as like a missed narrative goes because like when you actually win your rc or you know top two or whatever it is for each region and qualify for this you get an extra 4k on top of it yeah and like don't get me wrong like probably half the field is spending that 4k on travel alone to get here but right but that that's still awesome that you get to recoup that money amazing you know? It is absolutely amazing, and I would wager that no matter where you traveled from in the world, you could probably get to Las Vegas and spend a weekend there for four grand. Yeah, easily. I mean, you could afford to lose half that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, listen, I don't want to sell people short from like some crazy locations or whatever, but you could you could afford to buy my legacy deck off Mason Clark for two k. You know? <laughs> Somebody might have. Yeah. Who knows? Anything could happen. I wasn't there. But yeah, I, like like we said, I, I really hope this was just an oversight. I really hope something gets done about it. Maybe even retroactively, that would be nice to see. Um, and even if it's one, and like, listen, I get like you like you can't have the first pro tour of the year be a bunch bigger than the every other one. So if you give invites from Worlds, you're also giving invites from the last pro tour as well. So if you aren't careful, you might end up with like a huge first pro tour. Yeah. No, and I, I get that. Like, they, they have to, like, massage the numbers and figure out, like, what they want the size of the Pro Tour to be and, and figure out all that stuff. And, like, the first year is tough because you effectively have to give away more invites than you will in the following years, right? Yep, and Worlds is always going to have that tension of, you know, Pro Tour 3 from the previous year and Worlds both feed into that. So I, I get, like, maybe it doesn't cascade as far as other Pro Tours, but, like, you know, it's got to go past 8th. But yeah, I mean, you gotta you gotta adjust for that too. It's like, well, if you determine that like giving out worlds invites or giving out invites from worlds, you know, say it's like top thirty two invites or what, like random, uh, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> say say you like do the math and it's like, oh, this is too much. I don't think the solution to that is just remove all the worlds invites. I think it's like maybe remove some off the rest of the PTs. Yeah, shave a little bit off, uh, around. And like, listen, I, I'm with on like the merits of like, we want the Pro Tours to be similarly sized consistently. Yeah, of course. And having two major events, Pro Tour 3 from the previous year and Worlds feed into this can make that really challenging to do. But I think you can navigate that. And like at a minimum, like going to 16th or to 24th is not a huge number. I, I agree. But, so. you know, Again, it, it is kind of like the slippery slope argument too, where it's like, oh, we added eight invites here and eight invites here. And it's like, now instead of 250, we have 300 people. And like, you know, I, I'm i sympathetic to that. Absolutely. But uh, okay, so we're, we're well over the hour mark. And 
I still wanted to circle back to the SEG prize payout thing. Want to talk about a couple other things. Uh, are you are you down to do a oh, two-hour podcast? Good. I'm firing on all cylinders. Let's go. Awesome. Yeah, we're, we're going to make up for the fact that we missed last week. Uh, just get paid half as less. Cool. Yeah, so SEG reducing payouts. I understand completely why they would do this, namely capitalism. But to paint this in a more beneficial light for them, which I kind of loathe doing, but... You know, it's it's just reality is like, you know, credit where credit's due. Well, be fair is what I'm yeah, saying. Yeah. Yeah. And I, 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 I try and I try and do that. So in this instance, you have this situation where global pandemic, your event shut down. They were running a lot of these events and doing like the invitationals and had a pretty like sizable operation of like competitive content and everything. And they just lost all of that during the pandemic. And I don't know that they have like, you know, com- completely rebounded. I don't know if their business is the same, whatever, but certainly sympathetic to that, especially because I also went through a lot of the same stuff, you know, including like losing my job writing for them. So I, I get it. I get like the, the pinch and the, the kind of like strangle from all of that and the frustration. And then, you know, things start to ease back up. Events start firing again. You start running these events and it's just like, okay, how are these events going to look now? And how how do we structure them? How do we sell them to the populace? Who are we catering to? Who are the people who are most likely to show up? They basically end up creating this amalgam of the OG SEG Opens and the Command Fest, where it's like they have a commander area and they have also this big competitive tournament or you know a few tournaments, whatever. And then they also worked in this pre-release angle, which again, pretty saucy, not a big fan of that, whatever. But, you know, this is their model now. And I think in order to maybe juice it a little bit and to get people a little bit more incentivized to come out, maybe people who are on the fence or whatever, like you start the prize pool high or like higher than you would want to, you know? And I think the normal way to go about these things is maybe start a little bit low and then add because anytime you subtract, people are going to feel bad about it. But in this instance specifically, it's like you need to like build this thing back up and they know that they, they run a pretty tight ship. Like their events are good. They're fun. You know, people are having a good time. Like transphobes get kicked out, you know, like that stuff is all good. Throw them out. So I understand juicing the prize pool and then over time adjusting things and maybe getting it back to a place where you're like, this is more of where we wanted to end up, you know? And also there are factors of like, it's not like these events are popping off, right? No. And so, you know, they're, they're losing money. They're, they're one of the things that are losing money for them on the weekend. It's like an additional draw to get people in the door and that's all good. But I, I think that the price pools were probably higher than they should have been, honestly. And that sucks. And I would like to do some trickle down economics bullshit, even though that's completely fake, where it's like, well, maybe if they had 800 people, like the price pools would be going up or whatever. And it's like, no, nah, it's probably honestly not true. You know, they would probably still get reduced. But it, it just is what it is. And I, I think that maybe the events were like a little too juicy before. And now they're maybe getting more in line with where they wanted them to be. And I, I think that that's okay. That should probably not be very surprising. And they're also massaging things a little bit too, where before it was like the two day thing. And then they had like a five K on Sunday. Now they just have like two 10 Ks and 
maybe that's going to be more beneficial for them. Maybe that's going to be a better player experience too. I don't know. And maybe if it is bad, they'll just end up going back to the old thing. I have no idea, but clearly they are willing to try things and adjust. And, you know, if, if something is bad, like they're probably going to fix it or at least work on it, you know? So, yeah. I think I'm, all I'm that's honestly, fair. I'm fine with all this stuff. Yeah. I think the part that just like, listen, I, I love just going and playing in magic events on the weekends that like matter and make me feel something. And like, listen, things like having it be a two day event. So there's like multiple different barriers. I have two losses to give. There's a, a first goal of make the second day and then a different goal of making top eight, like having like more RC invites, having things like coverage. Those are way more appealing to me than the actual, you know, financial prize pool. And yes. I think that like anybody that tells you they play magic for the money is lying. Are there two or, or, or not very smart? Yeah, that's fair. Well, that, that's where the line to yourself comes in. Right. But yeah, yeah. You're probably doing that because you're not very smart. Yeah. But like, I think having tournaments that feel like they matter is like really important. And this is where I think star city does a really good job of like, even when they run these random events, they feel like they're, they're, they're incredibly well run. They're timely. The judges are really good. Like all of that adds to the kind of the experience for me. Um, I want to see that it, it feel more professional level, just like all around, whether it's, you know, the organizers, the judges, the, you know, the, the coverage, all of these things. And I get nervous, like the, the, the prize pool itself is more a reflection of that than it is like the motivator in and of itself. Yeah. And I a hundred percent agree with you. I feel the same way. Like the fact that the prize pool got reduced certainly does not move the, the needle on whether or not I'm going to go, you know, not at all, but like, the lack of a two-day event makes it less exciting for me. Yeah. I, I agree with that, but I have specific interest here where back-to-back -back is now on the table again. Well, and is that good or bad? Your record is good is now, for me. Your, rec your record is now potentially at risk. Again, we talked about this. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. You know, I can, I can at least, like, <laughs> demonstrate some lack of intelligence and lie to myself about how it's not the same thing or whatever. It's the same thing. It's not, but, you know, again, we'll see. But I just want something to fight for, man. That's it. Like, give give me something to care about. And in this case, it's not it's not going to be like $1,000 or 1500 And I know that that's a lot of money to a lot of people. That sounds like very privileged or whatever. And like, I'm I'm definitely not like flush right now, you know? So like, it is it is decent money to me too. Like the different, the delta between like a K and 1500 does matter, but it's like, it's not the motivator for me. Because if I wanted, you know, to make money, there are there are better avenues at it than than going to this, right? So it's like I I I need I need something that lights a fire under my ass and gets me motivated. And uh, a back to back thing and just like the accomplishment of that kind of does that. So I'm dude, I'm kind of in, you know. All right, so let's do it. In order to go back to back, we need we talk modern a little bit. We, we did. We lead on standard, so you can't go back to back unless you win the standard. So I know, right? It, yeah, it's like you win the second one. It's like, well, that's cool, but like I didn't win them both, so like, why does it matter? You know, <laughs> <laughs> only one win on the weekend, dude. That's ex I'm I'm definitely gonna say shit like that too if that ever happens, and like unironically. So just be prepared for that. But yeah, standard. One of the things I also want to talk about. This is like. Not a good segue, but I, I do want to talk about it. I don't know a better way to to get into this, and I don't know if one would appear naturally, so I'm just going to bring it up. But like, uh, we were kind of talking about communication a little bit before this, and uh, a very specific, interesting scenario came up when we had started chatting again just randomly a while ago when you were playing an RC in San Diego. Yeah. Is that the one? Yep. 
and it was standard and you know it's like there there's there's mutual respect we're friends but like we're we weren't like super tight over the years and i don't think that either one of us was necessarily super familiar with like how the other person communicates and and things like that and even then i I don't think we had spoken in like three years or something so you know maybe things have changed too who knows but basically you were talking about registering esper legends and this was a time when i was playing like a decent amount of standard but like certainly not as much i would expect as someone who is prepping for an rc you know so Confidence level that I was more knowledgeable than you was not very high, but you know, it's like, I, I have this gut feeling that I, I feel pretty strongly to myself is, is right and would affect my decisions, but I'm not about to like enforce that on someone else. So like, basically the situation is like Rakdos has the best cards and not only that, but like there was this Rakdos reanimator deck that was popping up that looked really good, was really good. And honestly, you know, this is results oriented, whatever, but ended up dominating that tournament. But my specific advice to you wasn't like, oh, you should just play Rakdos instead, you dummy, was something along the lines of Esper Legends seems like a little bit too small ball. And I'm not sure that there's like a good way to fix that. Like normally there are some things you can do and we're uh, we're going to get into that, like talking about the standard format. But there there weren't good things you could do necessarily with that deck to compete on the same axis as people who were building these Rakdos decks to like go pretty long and were doing powerful things like putting attracts into play pretty early and stuff. And I was worried about that. And I was, I was just kind of like cautioning you against that. And you were indexing for certain things. Like you eventually got onto like Razor Lash Transmogrant, which I think was maybe like popular and not super popular, but was like it, started to catch on and then kind of dropped and then i think you didn't have them in your list and it was kind of like why not you know because like grixis was also a deck yeah i think those were like the right direction but probably like the right logic but the wrong answer but yes i did end up playing so well that that was like yeah one thing where it's like yeah this is technically correct for this deck but ultimately this is not what you're supposed to be doing in the field as a whole and so i was just kind of like you know subtly nudging you where it's like hey these are the things that I, I feel to be true or whatever. And you were just like, okay, yeah, cool. Going back to playing my Esper deck or whatever. And then afterwards, what happened? We got smoked as you somewhat predicted. Did y'all like play against like bigger mid-range decks effectively? And like, that was a problem or? Uh, so like a little bit. And like, I, I don't know that it was always, uh, listen, the tournament didn't go super well for any of us that played legends, like my friends or not aside. Right. And Legend, like Esper was essentially like the level one deck of the tournament. And whether it was people going over the top or just, you know, some of the other mid-range decks just like overloading on cutdowns, like, you know, we were just getting beat up on all angles. Everybody had a good plan for us. And if you wanted to beat that deck, there was definitely a clean way to do it, which will translate into this standard format coming up. But keep going. Yeah. So it it was afterwards, I'm, I'm just like, I told you so. But that was just a moment where you were not necessarily taking me as seriously, I guess, because my, my statements were not just like dripping with hyperbole or like being said super forcefully. And I think that that's just a very good lesson and learning opportunity for like when you are communicating with someone 
or like trying to communicate with someone, I guess, is more apt where you sort of need to be attuned to their style of communication and also not just the way that they send information out, but the way that they receive information. And maybe the thing that I was not super familiar with was your way of receiving information from me, but also like your the way that you normally receive information from other people, the way that is like given to you. And I guess if you're dealing with like average magic grinder as a whole, or like that is mostly the content that is out there. That is the way that people are sending information to you. That is what you're used to. So when I'm like, Hey, I think that this thing is the case, but maybe my confidence level is not a hundred percent or whatever. You just like disregard that because it's not given to you in the same way. But for me, that's like a pretty strong endorsement. Yep. And all of this stuff is relative, I think, is the theme. And I think this yes. is like a huge part of the reason why having people in your circle that you talk to about things on a regular basis and like agreeing on what words mean ahead of time, you don't have to like tangibly do this, but this naturally happens is important. Yeah, over time, you'll yeah. figure it out. Yeah. And, you know, I obviously have a close knit circle of friends in the Boston area that I've talked to about magic pretty much every day for the last 20 years. And we have a very, let's say, like inbred way of thinking and talking about these things. And that is it is it overly Bostonian, do you think? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And by that, I mean, like super negative and everybody's always wrong and screw everybody else. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Um, well, like Bostonian also kind of like correlates to just like average magic players speak to. Which is sort of <laughs> yeah, funny. yep, yep, absolutely spot on. But like, you know, I'll give you a small example, right? So like even within our like, you know, circle, if, you know, Adam Snook messages me when a new re- card is like previewed and says this card is awesome, that means absolutely nothing to me because he gets super excited about every single card. Okay. Right. Whereas if Matt Costa messages me and says he thinks a new card is really good, that is like incredibly noteworthy because he thinks every card sucks. Okay, so case in point here, when uh, Woe Spoilers were coming out, we didn't do the episode, but I was like, I want to talk about these modern cards, kind of, and I was like, up the beanstalk. Yeah. And that was definitely the first one I brought up, or at least like the, maybe it was like the last one I brought up, but either way, it was like meant to display one of emphasis. One of the only ones you brought up, yes. Yeah. And I also sent this to a friend of mine uh, when it got previewed, and I was just like, yo, this seems pretty good for modern you're just like ah, i don't know and i think you had the same kind of reaction where you're like ah, i don't know and i'm just like true no nah, this is like this just seems cracked to me like uh, and, and that is kind of how i feel but it's like i've sort of been conditioned against communicating that way because that has not been effective you know just i don't know like as a professional communicator yep and like you know, listen i think part of being a good communicator is knowing your audience right like you don't just get to be a good communicator and talk generically like you being on the same wavelength as the person that you're talking to is the important point yeah and brian and i talked about this a couple times too where it was kind of frustrating where there would be episodes that we did where we had high confidence level in of stuff and like people listen to us. And this was like more back in the day when like, maybe we were quote unquote, like more relevant. It's like, you know, I was like topping pro tours or whatever. So like people are more inclined to listen to you then, than right now when maybe I haven't put up a bunch of like good finishes lately is like, you know, what have you done for me lately? Sort of thing. Right. And certainly like our, our viewership numbers reflect that too. And this is no shade to you. Cause this happened like well before you even came on, but it's just like people are more inclined to listen if, you know, someone 5-0'd a, a Moto League or whatever. 
And I'm I'm here also at the start of the show talking about how I played against like coffers and eggs in my my moto league or whatever. It's like, dude, what what can you really take away from that, right? It's but like the way that I communicate, I hope conveys nuance and the fact that it is well thought out and that when I say something sort of like as a fact or factually that you kind of take that seriously. And I think for a lot of the people who listen and certainly the people who are still listening, like maybe they do take it that way in a lot of instances, but you know, sometimes also people just listen because they, they want to feel like they're hanging out or whatever, you know, but it can be both. Whatever. It was, it was always like kind of frustrating for us. We're just like, yeah, you know, like we're, we're basically trying to, trying to do, I told you so's every week, but like not do them, you know? And the, the big example for this, for me was when I won the RCQ with Omnath with like Risen Reef, when I'd been talking about it for like a literal month leading up to it and no one did it. And then I won like a 34 player tournament and suddenly people were just like, Oh, this deck's the nuts. And it's just like literally nothing changed in that time span. Yep. And no, you won a tournament that that's something, but I'm, I'm with you. I, yeah. But it was like <laughs> a, 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 a pretty small local RCQ, which is like ultimately kind of meaningless, but it was yep. just like, whatever, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't know what, what I can do yeah. to change this. Uh, and I'm poking fun at your hyperbole of literally nothing. Yeah, literally is not <laughs> the the correct word technically. No, but if if as long as we're on the same wavelength communicating of what that means, which we were, yeah. and I'm just yeah. being a pain. No, right? and, this and is exactly I, what I'm talking about. Like, yeah, you you are being pedantic or whatever, but it is it is it is correct, especially when we're talking about like communication as a whole and how to do it effectively. It's just like, yeah, you're right. I should not misuse of the word literally is maybe like the epitome of this conversation yeah. kind of. Well, and I think like, it's okay. It's like, I'm not telling everybody to just like try to be as clear and explicit as you can. It's, it's more just like, I think this amount of rapport and like knowing how much weight goes into these statements with the people that you're talking to, this stuff is like built up and earned. And this is why like spending time talking to and listening to a similar group of people over time gives you an advantage because you can shortcut these things. And you know what they mean. Yeah. And dude, we had to, we had to do that for testing teams all the time. Yeah. Whereas like, you know, kind of the Snook example where someone's like, Oh, this card seems awesome or whatever. And it's like, yeah, but you love everything. So like, what the hell are we talking about? Yeah. You know, <laughs> or like someone is just like, Oh, this deck is like super cracked. And it means that they're like two in a league and they just AFK to get food or whatever. Yep. It's just like, what, so the, you know? this is where like your hatred for hypotheticals comes in where like how I've used hypotheticals in my circle over the years is like, I will bet a beer with somebody on something. And like, that is like not actually ever something that, you know, gets cashed in or traded in. But when somebody has like a strong opinion about something, that's just like my way of saying like, do you want to put your money where your mouth is? Yeah. Yeah. And then it and doesn't then, matter what is on the line at that point. Cause it's like pride too. Right. Yeah. Oh, that's all it is. It's only pride. Yeah. It's exclusively pride, but like that really changes the tone of the conversation. But it, to me, that's frustrating because you you're having these, these conversations and then, inevitably you have to do a thing where it's just like do you actually believe this or not and yes. then they're just like oh shit no yeah. never mind and it's just like what are we doing what are we doing here yes and this is something that i think that you have experienced far more than basically anybody else that at least in my circle of yeah, like your words I, you get held accountable for your words because you're saying them in a public forum whereas we're not uh, word yeah okay no i i i thought you were going a, a different way with that where I was just like, yeah, but like, I, I guess I'm, I'm like communicating more in general. So like, that's why I've dealt with it more or whatever, but it's like, 
No, uh, yeah, you're right. I get held accountable more. because yeah, you're publishing like, your thoughts publicly. So like, we're not writing this shit down. We're not fact-checking each other. Whereas, you know, you have a small army of people that's like gonna come back to you and say, Jerry, three weeks ago, you told me to buy all these cards. Now they tanked in price. Like, what the heck? And it's just like, yeah, I mean, things things can change or whatever. Like, yeah, you know, a lot of the times too, it's just like, ah, I'm wrong, sure. Yeah. You know, but- Communicating's hard. It is, but um, I, yeah, I think, I think the- overall takeaway here is for, for communication in general, what I try and do is have a goal in mind. It's like, what am I trying to convey to this person? And like, also how much influence am I trying to exert in the example with you at the RC in San Diego? I was not necessarily trying to exert a lot of influence because I assumed that you were playing more than me, which is like probably correct. And it's just also like, you know, I, I didn't want to like overstep and certainly there is like a fear of being wrong or whatever. And it's like whenever I, you know, say I'm going to a tournament with, with Cho and we're both playing like the same deck or like specifically the same list too, or like have the same sideboarding plan. It's just like if I end up being wrong, like that feels really bad. Yep. It's hard. So, so I, I, I have to gauge that a lot of the time. Yep. Especially. Well, and it's especially true with newer people. And I think all this stuff applies like outside of the magic world as well. No, absolutely. And yeah. that that's kind of why I want to talk about it is because it's more than just magic. It's yeah. more than just like, you know, you think this card is like nut high or nut low or like completely unplayable or whatever. Like ultimately in this, the, the context of those conversations, who gives a shit? You yeah. Know, it, it doesn't matter at the end of the day, but like this is applicable to real life. Yeah. And this matters a ton. A like, ton. So one of the ones you give me a hard time about that I, I'll say that I, I've been a little bit of a pain in the ass about at home is my wife likes to ask me, do you want to unload the dishwasher? And I, I've just started saying no, because under no <laughs> circumstances do I ever want to do that. No, that doesn't no, ever sound not. fun. As, as someone who lives alone. <laughs> yeah. Now yeah, I, I don't, and it doesn't get done. So yeah. it's fine. Now, if the question is, will you unload the dishwasher? That's a very different question. It is. Right. And again, I'm being a pain in the ass about this on purpose a little bit, because this is just like my sense of humor, but like, no, I absolutely don't want to do that. That is not something that I look forward to in the slightest, but I am more but, than willing to. But I love you and I'm going to do this thing. Absolutely, yeah. because it needs to be done and like, you know, we all got to carry our weight. But like, and again, this is, it's somewhat poking fun and me just being a pain in the ass, but I do think the stuff's important. Yeah, and I, I think I've brought this up on the cast maybe multiple times and I, I think I, I told you about this where like Cedric messaged me once and it was just, is Keldon Halberdier good? Have I told you this? no. Oh God, I just went off on him because I was in a mood, yeah. you know, so like, you know, it was maybe like the third or fourth, like tilting thing that happened to me that day. And again, like, you know, know your audience, know who you're communicating with, like Cedric and I are good friends. Like I wouldn't go off this way to like a random person necessarily, but like, because we're Cedric, I, I also had this feeling of like, dude, you should know better or whatever, but it's just like, you're so Kellen Halberdier, four R, four one, uh, first strike R suspend four limited card for time spiral. It was like, you know, upper tier of red common, but like more towards the middle of the road, you know? Got it. Good filler. Yeah. It's like, you know, B plus, like you take it, you put it in your deck, you really cut it or whatever, but it's just like clear. Like if I just say yes or no, like, does that help him? Right. Cause like that, that is technically the correct answer to the question. Right. So yeah. my problem was I can type out a bunch of shit in response to this but that just kind of like wastes my time because really you are asking me a more specific question you just didn't type it out yep. and 
the question is like, you know, in this very specific, like, I know he's like drafting on moto at the time or whatever. And it's just like, I don't think we necessarily had this capability back then, but it's like nowadays it's like, send me a screenshot of your pick and like, I'll respond to you, you know? Yeah. Right. Or it's just like in, in this sort of deck, like, do I want this here or there or like, whatever because it's just like i don't think he's just like shower thoughts like oh is this card any good you know yeah, it's like yeah. that's not yeah. what's happening here cedric i wouldn't put that in your sander deck right yeah exactly <laughs> right so it's like yeah clearly we're talking about limited like there are context clues for some of it but it's just like you know are you talking about should you six pick this or second pick it or like what's what's your deck looking like what are the other cards in the pack like there's a lot of context here that matters yeah and i could say yes or no i could just answer your question directly but like you know do you want to unload the dishwasher no is that helpful? Did like, did we solve anything? Nope. We got nowhere. And, it, and this is where like, is plummet good, right? Could be a reasonably similar question. Yeah. And it's just like, yes, no, depends on context. Like what, yep. what do you mean? Yeah. Is it as your 23rd card or are you asking me if you should fourth pick it? Yeah. Also like, what's the format? Like yeah. there are formats where like there aren't a lot of flyers or the flyers are bad Yeah, or, or like the colors that have flyers are bad you know, or you have 10 removal spells already. Like, what are we talking about? Yeah. All right, so, I, pu I pulled up the text message. Do you want to hear it? Text message from, oh, us. Yeah. Oh, this rules. Okay. Did, did you do this already? No, I, I didn't look at all. I was going off memory, and this is kind of terrifying to me because it's like, there are definitely times where I just like headcanon stuff, and it's like not, it didn't go down as I like headcanoned it. Oh, that, so, well, that's I'm, even more true to like, yo, how you communicate and what you actually say or what your intentions are are different, right? So I yeah, think that exactly. plays into it. No so now I'm, dude, I'm actually, I'm <clears> legit terrified. All right. So I want to start by saying this was an RC that you were both one qualified for. No, not true. Yes. No, 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 no. This was the second RC and I was queued for the first one. I was queued for one in Atlanta, I believe. All right. Well, regardless, right above this message is me inviting you to come to the RC with us. Right. And I, I think that had I been qualified, it would have been more tempting, but I would have had to go and then LCQ. Like I wanted to go and hang out for the times. Yeah. You know? And because San Diego's great, but nonetheless. Yeah, sure. But like, you know, it's similar to like SCG moving the prize pool like a little bit. It's like that doesn't really move the needle. Like if it was yeah. in if it was in St. Louis or whatever, I still it would have been the same to me. Yeah. So somewhat unprompted, I asked if you were coming. You say no. I say I'm playing mostly with legends and I send you a deck list. Okay. Your first response is this looks good to me. I like Gix's command and the miser's slip. Okay. And then you say, does feel like you're playing the smaller mid-range deck, and that could go get you into trouble in a long tournament. Okay. Now, looking back on it, that comment and message was exactly spot on. And if I had read super into that and like really taken it to heart, and if you just, if I, I almost want to say like, if you just delete the does feel like, and you just say, you're playing the smaller mid-range deck, and that can get you into trouble. And I took that to heart. I might have ended up on a deck that gave me a better shot. Yeah, but I think you're now more familiar with how I communicate. Right? 100%. Where it's just like that, like the does feel like takes away, and, and this comes up with writing a lot too, where I, I don't necessarily know if it comes across to the reader or whatever, but these are things that I was very cognizant of when I was writing articles, at least in the uh, later portion of my career, maybe not necessarily in the early portion. <laughs> do not do not go and read any of my early articles, please, dear God. But <laughs> I was, I, I very carefully worded things in a lot of instances that had to do with my confidence level, basically, where it's like, if I believed it to be a fact, I would have stated it factually. But 
I, I said feels because that is what it was. It was a feeling. And like, I don't, the thing that you kind of need to know after that is I don't have these feelings just randomly. Like they are generally backed up by a lot of like information and experience. Yeah. Right. So it's not me just eyeballing it necessarily because if I was just eyeballing it, I would probably also like word that differently. It wouldn't be a feeling. It would be like, I suspect or whatever. Well, yeah. And I'm also qualifying it with uh, ignore the first message where your first reaction is this looks good to me. Well, I meant that, and this is a mistake on my part. I like that the deck list of Esper Legends that you have presented looks yep. good as a good example of Esper Legends. Yes. And in that context, now reflecting back on it, I totally read it that way. But in the moment, that is not how I interpreted it. Yeah. You were just like, this is a good choice for the tournament or whatever. And that was definitely not what I was trying to convey to me. Yeah. I'm walking out to lunch with You're Snook, convinced. who's on the same deck as me. And I'm like, Jerry thinks we're in the right spot. When, when my second message was like, Yo, dog, you're in trouble. Well, yeah. yeah. So I read it as I read it as maybe I want to lean a little bit in that direction, not like you'll go back to the drawing board. Okay. Yeah. And, and in my head, I was just like, "Yo, Rakdos reanimators cracked." What yeah. Are you doing? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Meanwhile, yeah. Two months later, Kane gets second at the PT. Right. So here we are. Well, yeah, but also, I mean, like the reanimator deck also crushed that tournament. Too. Yes. 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 And it it was just like this thing that I I, I don't think that it was Pozzo, but Sebastian Pozzo like 5-0 to league. He, he might have been like the second person to play it, I think. But it was like very much that list. Like the the Red Dragon at Sushi. I think it's like Atsuki or whatever, but whatever. Uh, it, you know, dies, makes three treasures. Like adding that to the reanimator shell allows you to play like Plaza of Heroes and it gives you kind of like this backup way to hard cast the attracts. So, like there's a lot going on about that list that kind of elevated it compared to the other, you know, previous Rakdos reanimator decks that were trying to do similar things that were just like very much all in. Yeah. And just like the way that their deck was built in general, but also the way the format was, I was just like, this, this has a lot of things going for it, you know, where it's just like those sort of situations pop up very infrequently because it's like, an unknown, a thing that people don't care about. You are uh, just like well positioned holistically based on your game plan. Like you're doing this mid range thing, but going a little bit bigger. And your deck has like unique and new ways of being built and things that it adds to it. It's just like, what is what is the problem? And, and then there's also stuff where it's like, instead of playing a bunch of like go for the throats, you have now adopted to the metagame. And now you're like maxing cut downs and playing like a few go for the throats or whatever. And it was just like all of this stuff. I was just like, this looks incredible, basically. Like that was my first thought when I saw the list. Yep. All right. So, and I think this is why just like knowing your audience when you're communicating and being on the same wavelength is so important and building up that rapport with the people that you're preparing with is like actually a huge advantage. And I think this is why with a lot of the better testing teams, we see a lot more consistency in who they're working with. And this is why, you know, it takes a little while to build up that rapport with the folks you're talking to. It does. And... I, I think that I am pretty good at this, but again, it is only after a rapport has been formed and you kind of understand where the other person is, right? And so, I don't know, things things where this comes up for me in real life is certainly like in, in work situations, right? But also, the, the thing that kind of like tilts me is like for years and years and years, people would be like, oh, you got to watch like this movie or the show or whatever. And I'm just like, 
I, I would try it. And I'd be like, no, like this is not a thing that I like. Why would you think that I like it? And they're like, cause I like it. And it's like, yeah, we, we like different stuff, you know, like <laughs> what, yeah. what the hell? So, uh, I, I've started like very aggressively policing those recommendations, but also being more thoughtful about it. I've been able to give people more specific recommendations where I don't know if you remember when we we're in the cab coming back from the volleyball thing with, uh, like Brian Christine and, I was like talking to Christine about anime or whatever. And I was like, you know, what kind of shows do you like, et cetera. Like trying to like get that information so I could give her good recommendations of like were, starting points for anime. You were calibrating yourself before communicating. Right. Because it's like, I, I could, perfect. Yeah. I could just throw out a bunch of stuff, but like if what I am trying to do is exert influence and get this person into anime, then what you want to do is give her a good recommendation. Right certainly did not want things to get to the point where it's like, I recommend a thing. And she's like, well, this is terrible. I don't like this. And it's just like, okay, well now I've just turned off this person to anime forever or whatever. 100%. So, yeah. Like that is exactly what I do now where it's like, you know, again, like you're giving me a hypothetical and it's like, Oh, I just, I feel this overwhelming need to clarify and make sure that the communication is clear because I've certainly been burned in the past by being like misunderstood. And I, I hate feeling like that. I hate, you know, trying to be clear with someone and they get uh, a different takeaway from it. And it's just like, well, you know, eventually I realized that like, oh, it's on me. Like I'm, I'm the one that messed this up. Right. So, you know, maybe over, over indexing for that, but uh, certainly the biggest part of this, and this is applicable to almost everyone, which is cool is in a relationship with your partner, you know, like, again, like friends too, but like in a relationship with your partner, like this is a hundred percent. And I, like hyperbole maybe but like not really this is the thing that matters the most the absolute most and thing thing that i want to kind of close this with is a thing that uh a friend of mine frank fields told me like just you know chatting about life catching up or whatever or no actually he wrote about this i read it so he lives in california you know american speaks english married a woman who i i think is chinese and like speaks English, but is not uh, her first language, you know? So it's like, there's a little bit, and, and maybe like her English is not even that good. I don't know, but I, I don't know the exact situation, but regardless, there's a language barrier, right? And so like, occasionally they would just like bump heads. And the thing that he figured out is that if they both start from a place of like operating under the assumption that both parties are coming at it from a good faith angle, it makes things so much easier because especially when there is sort of like a language barrier or when people are shortcutting using hyperbole, whatever, it is very easy to take things in the wrong way. Like maybe you read like a text message in a way that's like overly combative or confrontational or whatever. And it's like, that was not what that person was necessarily trying to convey. And it's just like, that just kind of like sets the tone for the future of that conversation or whatever. But like if you, both people are, in good faith, agreeing to agree that the other person is doing stuff in good faith, like basically nothing can go wrong. I, I, I mean, I couldn't agree more, but I think the thing you're describing is trust. And at least in most relationships and with most people, that has to be built, right? Yeah, but I think that there's more to this than just like the trust angle. It's like you can trust someone and then still read a text as something that's like, you know, catty or 
um, you know, take things a little bit personally or whatever. And it's like, you can do that while still trusting the person. That's fair. Give them the benefit of the doubt. Right. Until yeah, basically. Otherwise. Yeah. And that to me was kind of transformative in that. I think that I mostly operate that way, but I don't know that the other person is necessarily on the, the same page. And like, this is just maybe a thing that needs to be talked about beforehand, you know, and like get both people on the same page and maybe have this understanding. And then at that point, like you can have disagreements and stuff, but as long as it's not being taken personally or whatever, it's like, you know, maybe something does come across uh, a little more, you know, personal or snipey or whatever than it needed to or whatever. It's just like, you can, you can work through that stuff. Yeah. I agree. So I think give people the benefit of the doubt. The other piece of advice I'll give folks and that I think applies probably more so to like work settings and friend circles than relationships is like if you're talking to everybody, all of the people around you using like the same tone and the same words, you're probably doing it wrong. Yes. And like adjusting the language that you're using for new people that you've met or people that see things from a different perspective, um, I think is actually really important. So I, th listen, that's a delicate art and a difficult thing to do, but a way to check yourself and see if you're doing this well is like, are you using the exact same vocabulary with every single person you're talking to? And if the answer is yes, you're probably not doing it right. Yeah, it's it's like, you remember being a teenager and hanging out with your friends? And it's just yeah. like, the way you communicate then is way different than like, when you're in front of your friend's parents. Yep. Right? At least for most people. Most people have that amount of like self-awareness. There are certainly people who don't do that. Yeah, except and, for that one friend, you know? <laughs> right, exactly. We all we all have that one friend, you know? But uh Yeah, that's that's the type of thing where it's like you do this in certain situations even if you don't necessarily realize what you're doing or why you're doing it. Yep. Right? And that itself should kind of like prop up the amount of importance that this should have to you. So I I kind of love this stuff, but I also love like the nuance and everything in general. So it's great. I could talk about this stuff forever. Right. And like the, the whole goal of communicating in words is to like convey what you're actually thinking. And like, I think just acknowledging that the lang language in and of itself is less than perfect in doing that. Yeah. Um, it, is an important first step. Yeah. And also in like the, you know, both parties are operating in good faith sort of thing. It's like now reframing, previous relationships and friendships under that. It's just like, I see so many instances of where that was not the case. Yeah. And it's just like, Oh man, like my life, my life straight up would have been so much easier if I had that sort of knowledge and foresight back then. So it's just like, damn, you know? Yeah. And I actually think magic is a great, you know, avenue to, you know, get better at things like this. Right. And if I message you tomorrow and pick out some random card that like only once in a while makes the cut in the draft format and say, this card is awesome. You're going to have the context to know that I mean, like relatively to like, oh, maybe it's a card that we should be playing 70% of the time instead of 20% of the time, not a card that we want to be first picking. Dude, honestly, I got kind of frustrated with you about this stuff when you we were doing the arena open. Because you like sent a screenshot and I was like, yo, what's the rest of your pool? And you're like, oh, it's all unplayable. I'm just like, no, it's not. Yeah. Well, what I really meant is I don't have a screenshot of it and I already lost. So. Yeah. And that's fine. <laughs> but just say what you mean. You're just yeah. like, oh, you know, I didn't really have anything. And it's like, dude, I see like three cards that like don't really fit in here. And I know of like cards that are, you know, at the B line that are not things that you immediately like add to your deck or whatever that would like 
kind of flesh this deck out and make it a lot better. So I wanted to talk about that stuff. And you're just like, nope, this is the only way to build it. I'm just like, you're lying. You're I lying. Why you are off. you lying? Totally fair. Anyway, so. I was salty. I lost with six wins, man. It, it, it puts me in a rough spot. And that's that's fair. That's reasonable. But again, just say that, you know, it's like, obviously I can, I can relate to that and understand that. But if you're just like, nope, no options, I'm just going to keep pressing you. And like, that's not going to make things better. Right. Nope. So yeah. But in that moment, I understand it's, it's, it's really hard to just be like, look, I'm not in a good mood. Don't want to have this conversation or whatever. I'd be like, all right. Yeah. Yeah. And like, Hey, listen, like, I don't want to dive too far into it, but like what I think I actually meant in that moment was like, there wasn't anything like a totally wildly different direction that I thought I could have gone. Right. But obviously there's always going to be a ton of nuanced detail in like what the last handful of cards are. Yeah. And um, I'm not saying you should completely change direction, but it's just like you change two cards and like the whole, that could change a lot. Yep. Yeah. It can, it can make a difference. Right. It's just yep. like you, you make it. So your uh, range of opening hands you can keep is a lot better or, uh, the way that your deck lines up in this specific matchup is a lot better, you know? So just shutting me down was like the, the is Keldon Halberdier good of, of like our conversations. And it's, Got it. it's not normally how we, we communicate with each other. So I was just like, what is happening? Yeah, that's fair. Totally fair. You got me in a weak spot. No, that's, that's all right. Totally understandable. I get it. I forgive you. And I, I don't know, like in, in the future too, it's just like, I, I could probably communicate my frustrations better too. Right. So yeah. Where I'm just like, I don't, I don't understand what is going on and why this is happening rather than just like press you more aggressively as I get like more and more frustrated. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway. Show me the rest of your pool repeatedly. Yes. All caps. <laughs> now like, I see, I see you like log off discord or whatever. I'm just like texting you, calling you. Yeah. Like, Where is it? Yeah. My doorbell rings. I'm like hiding under the bed. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Oh, man. Okay, so big finish. Talk about Worlds itself. Jean-Emmanuel Dupra, world champion. I was a very happy to see it. One of one of the, the few magic personalities I still follow on Twitter, which I hope is an indicator of something. Oh, he's just awesome. And yeah. he just wins a lot. And I don't know. I, I really like his, like, over, like, listen, there was a whole bunch of really good horses and a bunch of good storylines for this, right? Whether it's like... You know, Anthony Lee and the run that he had, and I absolutely loved his whole table presence and demeanor throughout the whole event. I thought it was a ton of fun, right? It was fun to watch. Yeah, seeing Simon make another deep run was absolutely awesome, especially with like an incredibly unconventional deck and was definitely somebody that I was rooting for. But then seeing John Emmanuel kind of clean it up with like his kind of stereotypical, just like take on an old deck in a new format. I also just like very much appreciated and I loved his table presence as well. So I actually, I really enjoyed just like most of the matches, especially down the stretch. There, um, There's, there's a little bit more to add to that too, because Jed lost in the finals of worlds a couple of years ago. Yes. To you to Takahashi who like you win worlds, you get your face on a card or whatever. That's dope. Right. And now like, Jed is playing for the thing again, like the, the format's a little bit different, right? There's like a hundred people instead of 32 or whatever. But now he also has like Utah's card in his deck. Awesome. There there's also uh continuity with at the worlds. He got second. He was playing the like team or treasures deck that had fallen out of favor and he decided to play it. And like, even when I saw that he was playing, it, I was like, what the hell, you know, but yep. In his in his winner's interview for this, he mentioned the same thing about Esper Legends, where he's like, I noticed that like a lot of people weren't playing this deck, and I thought it was still really good, and I didn't really understand it. 
Um, so rather than just like buying into what everyone else was doing, you just, you know, just kept working on by himself and like yep. didn't really listen to the noise. And he did the same. He said the exact same thing happened to Worlds two years ago. And like my deck ended up being really good. And he's just like, I don't I don't understand. Yeah. He texted Jerry and Jerry said that he kind of liked it, but maybe you should go a little bigger. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't he doesn't text me. But yeah. yeah. But like on more serious notes, like, listen, Yuda in the last round of day one in at three and three scooping to Willie Adol in a really close and tight spot where like a draw eliminates both of them, like props to him for doing that. And like seemed like, okay, they're both at three and three, like not that big of a deal. And then Willie runs the table on day two. Awesome storyline. I, I love Willie Adol. Yeah. Um, I, listen, I'm always going to root for the old guns, right? So seeing him come back and do well is awesome. <laughs> oh, right? I'm, I am not. But uh, anyone who is directly involved in like the growth of a community. Couldn't agree more. Um, I'm in their corner, 100%. I couldn't agree more. One of the most vivid matches that I can remember like watching live, which are never the ones I play myself, was him beating one of my best friends for top eight of a pro tour. So like, that's always the first thought that jumps into my mind when you say this stuff. But um, okay. we'll let who, that one Who is pass. the person? Matt Costa. Okay. Yeah. And um, listen, I can vividly remember kind of like every emotion going through my body watching that happen. But you know, that's why magic's great. Like other thoughts, like second time that the world champion in the last like, you know, three or four years that the world champion is somebody who also lost in the finals of a world championships very recently. Yep. I like that too. Like Jean Emmanuel's storyline or like the various interweaving storylines are all awesome. Awesome. Yes. And like, listen, like that's amazing. Like Simon winning player of the year is like amazing. There was like so many good stories from the weekend. I, I couldn't be more excited about it and I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it was cool. And like, <laughs> I, with the SEG stuff, like the prize not moving the needle very much is like 18K to top 16 in a 100 person tournament. It's just like that kind of moves the needle for me. Honestly. Yeah, it's like, whoa, that's yeah. a lot of money. So yeah. it, like that aspect of it, too, is me going like, huh, you know. So so what are you saying? You're going to an RCQ this weekend? I don't think I have one this weekend, but um, maybe next. In, in, yeah, in two weekends. Like yeah. I so I had a local one. Uh, I think the week after Columbus that I was going to go to, but that was like, I started getting sick a couple days after Columbus and it was like, Oh no, like, you know, might have COVID or whatever. So not. can we blame Mason for stealing your legacy deck for this? Why? How did he also like get, get me sick? Somehow? No, no. I was just saying like, maybe you were going to play scam. You didn't have your griefs. Like, I'm sure there's some way we can twist this. No, I was going to play creativity, man. Oh, okay. Okay. And I, I think it would have been good because it was before the release of the beans, you know? Yeah, before the beans blew up. Yeah, so. But here we are. I mean, e dude, even I don't know. I was, I was a believer after like the first weekend of of challenges, I guess, or like the the second weekend because we we played Columbus and I was like pretty high on creativity and then it was like, oh okay, no, like everyone is is actually playing the bean thing and doing well and like obviously that's bad, but like if it didn't catch on, then I think that we still could have kept playing creativity would have been good yeah like listen i still think creativity is a deck you're allowed to play it's just like it's yeah. really hard to make an argument that it's a deck you should play no i i think columbus it was it was very good and now it is it's simply back to that where it's just like oh, i could probably do a little bit better you know yeah like yo ebs is talking about going to an rcq or whatever more likely they're not going to play creativity i'm not going to stop him it's probably you know not one of the five best decks you could play but it's definitely one of the 15 yeah but for for him, who is a person who doesn't play a ton, 
Like when he does play, I think he probably plays a lot or whatever, but I don't think that this is one of those moments. And it's just like, play what you know, I think is a, a fine out there, especially when the deck is fine, right? It is, it is the Keldon Halberdier of modern deck choices, if you will. Fair. So we're deep into it. I have family vacation to Disney World next week. Oh, right. So yeah, we might miss another podcast. Well, or you could come to Disney. We can film with the mouse or we can find a way to make it work. <laughs> I, I think then our, our podcast probably becomes a Lorcana podcast. <laughs> we could. We could do it. I mean, I, um, don't, I don't want to. That was a joke. Yeah, I have not even dabbled in Lorcana. Um, I am I am tilted at the Lorcana love and it makes me want to kind of like hate on it a little bit because it is effectively uh, Kaijudo, which was a game I loved. And it was, it's made by the same person, um, Ryan Miller. Just and, with a different skin. Yeah, with a different skin, different IP. And it's just like Kaijudo ruled and there was a distinct lack of interest in like apprehension for a lot of the people to play the game that now are just in love with Lorcana. And I'm just like, I hate this. This sucks so much. Fair. It's, it's like the exact same type of feeling when like I read comic books as a kid and it was like, that was the thing that got you like shoved into lockers or whatever. Yeah. That, that's hyperbole. I've never been shoved into a locker. I was like, I was always too tall, you know, but like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, maybe would have happened. Who knows? Probably would have been my brother that did it to be, to be perfectly honest. But, you know, so it was like this this thing that was like I really liked, I thought was awesome, and also I thought that like other people would enjoy it if they gave it a chance, but instead they just like shit on it constantly. And then like the Marvel movies start coming out, they're pretty good, and now so many people are just like, oh, I love comics and like I love Marvel or whatever, and it's just like I hate you all. You know, <laughs> timing is everything, Jerry. You were just a little ahead of the curve. I I just want to see a little bit of consistency. You know, it's just like. Instead of people like hopping on the bandwagon for one reason or another. And it's fine if you're like, oh, I this is not really my thing. That's one thing. But to then like shit on someone else's enjoyment of a thing is the thing that rubs me the wrong way. Fair. So on theme, if I'm gonna go to Dallas, which is I'm I'm I'm, you know, pending, you know, pregnant wife being supportive of this, I am planning on going but can't lock that in until i make sure that she has everything that she needs yeah uh, dude understandable fully understandable fully so that's you me you know. and her and everything uh my my flight is booked regardless man i'm i'm there yeah so i'm I, I need to prepare right be ready for anything that's kind of what life with kids is like and that means if i you know i'm on vacation next week i want to I, I need to order standard cards now yeah so what should I order? <laughs> Good news for you is that since I was home and not in Vegas, I played a shit ton of magic. Tell me so, more. Okay. So standard. John Emmanuel wins with Esper Legends. Esper Midrange gets second. Uh Kazune Kazaka's Esper Midrange list was pretty good and was kind of not like the talk of the tournament or whatever, but like their build of it specifically, uh, for virtue of loyalty, like that and being like less on creatures more on interaction having this more robust like mid to late game plan i think was the best version of esper midrange period and i love it no screlv only one plaza of heroes like doing a lot of things outside the box right yeah. but like all the best cards the the contention between like is esper midrange or esper legends a better deck or a you know more well positioned deck i think is up for debate the Big point of contention, I would say, is how good is Skrelv? Like, is this format dominated by, like, spot removal? And would you rather have things like Make Disappear or Thalia? 
And I think for both of those, it points in favor of Esper midrange where like spot removal is not super prevalent. Like obviously there are mirror matches or things like Golgari midrange, whatever, but like Skrelv itself is not a completely backbreaking card, especially when you start talking about like the rougher matchups, things like the domain ramp deck that did overall pretty well in the tournament, right? Like they're going to beat you up with sweepers and your clock is like kind of anemic and you know, you, sort of need to like overcommit to the board to get any sort of like damage going with like Rafine and whatnot. So I think that overall Esper midrange is better against the field than Esper legends, at least right now. So I would agree. And it's music to my ears because this Esper deck looks awesome. It is cool. Virtues are expensive, which is pretty annoying and was also annoying for me as a person who played a lot of limited when I started like building these standard decks and granted because I played the limited format and like stocked up, wild cards and stuff. I'm like not hurting for those necessarily right now, but it's still, I've, I've just been conditioned to feel pain whenever I have to like spend 10 wild cards to make a deck. Sure. Well, and, virtue on arena is cheap because it's mythic, not rare, right? Yes, technically, but the fact that I had to craft both the white and black virtues because I had, I think one black virtue and none of the white ones after playing a lot of limited, made me kind of tilted because I was like, I, I could have been just like having these cards in my decks and I just haven't. And they're both just completely busted, right? Yeah, not exactly cards you're passing, <laughs> right? So, so so it was like an extra, again, like twisting of the knife <laughs> when I, I shouldn't even necessarily care. It's going to it's it's gonna cost me the same thing either way. But I, and like I was doing well in limited anyway. But it was just like, man, I haven't had any fun with these cards because I just, you know, never open them or whatever. Whatever, that's just me baby whining. But uh. Esper is completely fine. Domain Ramp, I think, is also completely fine, but has a lot of inherent issues. And I also think is a thing that people are going to have to adjust for in, in I, I guess, like coming weeks, sort of. But like there's, you know, maybe like the arena tournament and the occasional SCG thing. But like the standard sort of like RCQ season isn't well until next year, you know? So like, I don't know how much is this relevant how much people are actually going to adapt or not but i don't think they care if i'm being honest yeah i i don't think so either and like this this is proven to be true for the magic online uh like challenges and whatnot it's like people are just copy pasting lists every week and then working on other formats but they're like well the standard thing is there so i'm gonna play in it and i'm just gonna not think about it but uh domain in theory is like my initial thought was like this this is probably the deck that on paper is like best positioned against the field as a whole because it has sweeper which is good and it's specifically an exile sweeper too and you're doing powerful go over the top of you things like atraxa and then i sit down and like play with the deck both the version that like reed played and the version that willie played they're like slightly different but you know it matters and i don't think i can do it man i don't think i can play this deck i mean I'm not with you there all the way. And I have played quite a few games with Reed's list and I don't love it, but I do think I could do it. I, okay. Yeah. So I could do it, but like, it's, it's just like at times, and this is very much higher than non-zero, you know, it's not a small amount of the time. It is just like clunky and bad. And like, I don't, you even saw this in like Reed's top eight match where it's just like, he's in a matchup that on paper should be pretty good. I think against Anthony, right? Yeah. Where, I don't know, he just, like, gets Thoughtseize, doesn't have Invasion of Zendikar, so, like, he's also, like, you know, 
stuck on mana, eventually kind of like gets ground out and doesn't have a ton of resources to work with and just like top decks Aaron dies or whatever. It's just like Yeah. Not, his that, his land got thought seized, right? Because the the herd or whatever. Yeah, the the thought seized took the herd migration. He had a two land herd migration hand. And you're not supposed to be allowed to take lands with that thing, but uh that's just kind of how it goes. Yeah, and uh, I mean like the deck has like some cantrippy stuff and like cheap cards and things that ramp you and still also like 25 lands, you know, it shouldn't necessarily be a problem, but it's like all of these things, it's just classic ramp deck problems, right? Where it's like, well, you need to draw your early stuff early. You need to draw your mid stuff, mid your big stuff late, you know? And it's like, that doesn't always come together on top of like, you're playing basically a five color deck. Yeah. And I, I think we saw Anthony Lee play against this matchup three times on camera and we saw him play against Nassif on day one. And Nassif's deck crumbled and fell apart the same way we're describing. And then on day two, Reed played against him and things went well and it looked embarrassing for the black-green side. Yep. And then in top eight, things fell apart a little bit, right? Reed won the first two games and then like, you know, reversed sweep where like, you know, little bit, one little speed bump or two and all of a sudden like, you know, it, it, it looks very fragile. So I think what you're describing makes a lot of sense. And when it goes well for the ramp deck, it probably looks embarrassing on the other side. Yes. The things that I will say are that I think a lot of people look at this and immediately write it off. And I don't think that that's necessarily the right way to go about it because the, the first thing that I think about is like, is this sort of stuff fixable? You know? And I think that Willie's list does a little bit more to hedge in this direction with like the courier's briefcases. Yeah, he has the full four, right? I believe so. Yeah, full, he has the full four, and Reed only has two. Yeah, and uh, I mean, like, Reed had some beanstalks, right? Reed had two beanstalks. What I don't understand about Willie's list is not the full four herd migrations and only three inve- invasion of Zendikar. So, a little, little bit of history. Willie, like, just openly tested this deck on Magic Online leading up to the Pro Tour. Okay. And there are there are three results, him having two five O's in leagues and him getting ninth in a challenge. And I also just love that it's like, oh yeah, I got ninth in a challenge. Like, you know, t- time to just sleeve this up and register for worlds and like make 25k or whatever. Yeah, love like, it. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. It's just like, oh, you know, only like the five O's matter or the decks that like top eight the challenge or whatever. And it's just like, no, man. Like, yeah. Got my got my three hundred play points and my twenty-five K. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Same thing. So, and, and there, there's like a lot of differences in Willie's list too. Like he's trying a bunch of stuff and like this was the configuration that he thought was good. And like, honestly, after playing with the deck, I can I can see cutting a herd migration, both because like he also cut and tracks it too. So he shaved a little bit of the top end and played some, like paid more attention to his early game, right? I think he has one extra two mana removal spell and has like the briefcases and stuff. Yeah. And Invasion of Zendikar, I understand the logic behind that, where it's like, you know, drawing two is like pretty redundant, but I really think you want the first one. But because his deck has less of a top end, his deck is also less reliant on it. So yep. it's, it's for his list, I think it's okay to play three, but I think that the correct way to build it is to max on four and to make sure that like resolving Invasion of Zendikar is also really powerful. Because it is yeah. in most instances. The games, the games where this deck looked really impressive were when it played Stomper into Invasion. Yes, that is the nut draw for this deck. Absolutely. And like that's not actually that hard of a thing to do. 
No, it's not. It's it's just, you know, I, how often does like, I don't know, like Llanowar Elf into a thing happen? And it's like, granted, you have eight Llanowar Elves in a lot of these formats or whatever. But like in, in the formats, like uh, when like Sultai Explore midrange was the thing to be doing, it's just like, oh, like Llanowar and Jade Light Ranger again. It's just like, oh, this is like so gross, but it just like keeps happening. And this is a deck that does it on like turn three, turn four. So you have in theory, like more windows more opportunities to do those things yeah so i think a lot of people looked at willie's list where it's like oh four briefcase and he's not maxing invasion of zendikar that doesn't make any sense and it's like i think the briefcase is doing things that are different than maxing on invasion where he has this thing that he can do early that will help accelerate him to maybe like a sunfall or an archangel of wrath double kicked or something where it can also function as a top end card like an Atraxa by just like cracking it to draw three. You know, like this is the sort of way that like I would sort of streamline this deck if if I were playing with it. So it's like maybe I have more respect for this than than how I would. But even that said, I don't think that that is necessarily how I would build this deck. Is this a deck that you're going to be trying to build better? I I've tried it a little bit and there's, there's some, like some other interesting stuff where it's like Ely Cassis's version. I don't know if you saw this. I didn't. Okay. So his list, Oh God, I'm scrolling down. Maybe he didn't even like do that well with it. Oh, yeah. Three, four, they have him yeah. listed. So probably like three, four, one. So he is five color, like has ley line binding has four bean stocks. So you're like, Oh wow. Like this dude's going hard. Right. But no, he doesn't even have a Trax in his deck. He has four Seed Sharks, three Shieldred, a lot more spot removal. Like, he's basically playing Abzan Control that does Beanstalk stuff with kind binding. of in the same way that Greg Orange was doing with, like, March of Otherworldly Lights and, like, you know, does have Herd Migration and Sunfall and stuff. But, yeah, it's mostly, like, a binding thing or, like, yeah. late I'll say Virtue Persistence. In the limited order that I submitted right before we jumped on here, four seed sharks were in that because that card seems insane. And I don't know how to make it work quite yet, but it, it was one of the few cards that I added to my order just like without really a plan for what I'm going to do with that. Yeah, no, I, I like seed shark a lot. I will say though that after playing with the list and like, you know, playing with zero and playing with two, like I, I do think it is like a zero in the main deck, but like it is a thing that, again, Willie did to, like, have more of a robust late game while also having things to do in the early turn. So, like, I yeah. respect that. I just don't necessarily think it's the right way to go about things because you draw Seed Shark along with a bunch of the other early game stuff that you put in your deck, and it's like, well, it doesn't look very powerful at that point. Fair. You know, your, your deck is not really doing, like, powerful things. And it's just, like, Seed Shark into invasion is like kind of good but also not necessarily that good unless you also have the follow-up to it which maybe you're less likely to have when you start cutting sevens for seed sharks and stuff so like as a sideboard card i think it is incredible for for a main deck card at least for most builds i think that you can do something like elies uh where you, you just max them or whatever or even just like play two copies whatever where it is good but like if you're just trying to maximize the nut draw of stomper into invasion then i don't think that sea shark is where you want to be but ely's list is interesting because i think that he is not going to fail in the same way that like you know you saw like reed and the safety on camera his deck just doesn't have that however he has the problem of if you don't draw beanstalk or maybe beanstalk gets killed or whatever 
then he doesn't have as robust of a late game with like Atraxes and stuff because he's just doing a bunch of like one for one stuff with like Seed Shark. Yeah. And, and Shieldred. And it's like, that's going to be fine in a lot of instances, but like that is also going to create some issues too. And like, you know, he has 27 lands in his deck because he doesn't play a lot of the rampy stuff. He has a Celestis, which I think is awesome for his deck, but you know, like you just have a bunch of like mana sources too and like low impact cards. And then you think about like, how does this deck stack up in the actual mirror? You know, like how, how would his match against Reed go? And it's like, I, I think it would just be a disaster for Ely. Yeah. It, people are going over the top of you. And if you don't expect domain to be a popular deck, that might be a reasonable place to be. Right. Yeah, but it's this, a, it's a slippery slope. This might be a way to do like domainy things and like have a big enough late game to, to beat up on the smaller mid range decks like Esper and Golgari, but be a little bit more consistent in, in the way of doing it. So it's like, yeah, Ely's record was not great, but I, I don't think that his deck should be discounted either as a result of that. It Fair. just depends on where the metagame ends up. I think. And also, I mean, his, his sideboard is like one ofs and then two Elishnorns and his main deck also has like a bunch of one ofs. Like, obviously, there's a lot of work you could do to like tweak and tune this thing to make it a little bit better for wherever the metagame solidifies, you know? Yeah, which I don't know that we'll have time to do right before the hypothetical tournament we're playing in a few weeks, but we might be some of the only ones looking into some of this. Right. And well, that also means that like maybe the metagame just doesn't move. And if that's the case, people are just copy pasting pro tour decks. They're just going to play like Reed's deck card for card. Then Ely's deck is not where I want to be. Yeah. And similarly, Anthony Lee's Golgari deck, Golgari deck uh, was kind of widely played. And like, I think is sort of like a pretty solid baseline. It's like, where where do I put all these awesome black cards that exist in the format, especially now that like Fable and Invoke and stuff are gone? And then they just printed like a green black creature land that's awesome, Mosswood, Dread Knight, whatever it's called, and like the turtle and all this stuff. And it's like, oh, Golgari seems like pretty good. And I do agree with that. But I think the the list that they played specifically did not have a good game against Ramp. And I don't know that that was necessarily a thing that they were you know, planning on encountering all that much. Yeah, I would assume that given the deck choice and the way they built it, that they assumed that was not. They were Their plan was to hope to dodge that. Yeah, and I think that the way thing, like the narrative over the course of the tournament was like, oh, like Ogari can just like never beat the ramp deck in a million years. And then like watching the games on camera, changing a few cards, playing with the deck myself, playing against other people on ladder that were also doing interesting things with their deck. I don't think the matchup has to be as bad as it is, nor do I think it was as bad as they sort of spun it on coverage as a result of the ramp decks just having a fail rate. I think it's the Golgari deck probably isn't ever beating, you know, the top 20 or 30% of draws from the ramp deck. Yeah. But then but, the second you get past that, all of a sudden it becomes real interesting. But I also think that that is true with the way the Golgari deck is built currently. Fair. And I think that you can do some stuff. The The thing that I am doing now is I, I, my list is a lot cleaner than theirs, which is, you know, not necessarily a thing I'm going to advocate for or whatever, but it's also not surprising. Yeah. I, you know, like I, I understand all the one ofs. It's like, I don't, I don't ever want to draw multiple underdogs or Sentinel of lost lore or Bramble familiar or whatever, but it's like, you draw one of these cards. It's fine. Right. But yeah. I think now knowing more about the format and being more familiar with the decks that I'm going to play against on ladder. It's just like, well, I don't need all of this stuff. Like this, the Sentinel, for example, is like a thing that I'm not super interested in drawing at all. 
So it's like, oh, I'll just remove that, right? Yep. So do I have Golgari cards in my shopping cart? Which, which, what, where, where am I going? Give me some directions. So the the thing that I'm doing now, and I blatantly stole it from someone that I played against on ladder, was in addition to you know solidifying the list a little bit, cleaning it up, is things like the Gixis command and the Nissa Ascended Animus. I don't like all that much because there are additional mid range tools that are not good necessarily in the ramp matchup or at least like not the top tier of things that you can do so if you're going to do stuff in this like fun of one of slot i want them to be powerful things that can alter the ramp deck and then getting some games under my belt from both sides of the matchup i think and i like i think the best thing that you could be doing in those slots is maybe a ren and seven and a breach the multiverse but again uh you know kind of low confidence level because i have played a decent amount to recognize that this is good but i am not confident that it is the best thing that you can do because i haven't fully explored all the options okay and then after sideboarding like you can board in more of that so it's like you have the early beatdown stuff but you also can kind of like scale with them in the mid to the late game and i think the, the turtle is just a big part of this right like being able to present clock will also ramp you you're not just down a bunch of cards if they sweep you you know it's not a big deal and you're also just like building up to seven mana along with them. Whereas the way that they do it generally involves invasion of Zendikar, which, you know, you can duress it maybe, but like for the most part, you can't really stop it. And sometimes they don't have it. Whereas this deck very consistently is going to have like seven mana on turn seven, or at least on, you know, turn six, maybe. And then you start casting like breach the multiverses and virtue of persistence. And then it's just like, yeah, if they cast an attraction, you just, go for the throat it or whatever and then take it you know so i like it you're, you're like you're keeping up at that point yes exactly and I, I i i don't think the matchup is that bad so i initially bought into what they were saying on coverage where it's like oh it's just it's terrible it's terrible it's terrible and it's like now i'm just like no i think honestly golgari might be where i want to be all right i'll tell you it's going to be hard to get me re to register a deck that doesn't have leyline binding or rafine in it but i'm not going to take it off the table so Esper midrange, I also think is a fine choice. I just, I, so like their way of scaling is virtue of loyalty. And I think that that is too small ball compared to the things that Golgari is capable of. Plus, yeah, it's very easy to interact with if you know it's coming too. Yeah, true. And I mean, it, it just kind of like walks into the stuff that the ramp deck is already trying to do, which is just like sweep you with Sunfall. Uh, by, by the way, I think four Sunfalls is the right number for whatever that's worth. But yeah, well, that card is real, real strong. Whereas the Golgari deck has better pressure individually because Mosswood, uh, Dread Knight, and Underdog are much better than Denik against Ramp, right? And then Rafine is good, but generally needs help, and that kind of plays into sweepers. Whereas like the three drops from the Ramp deck, like you know, Glissa, Trespasser, if you play. Uh, Lord Skitter, all of those are individually powerful. And then things like Tortoise and Shieldred also both provide you a little bit of value on, on their way out, even if they get killed. So it's like, and also the Cottage and like, even to a lesser extent, the Foundry. It's like, you have a bunch of creature lands too. So it's like, a lot of times you're like ramping, pressuring them. You get swept a couple times, whatever. Now you just have like seven lands. You're either casting Haymakers or finishing them off of creature lands. It's awesome. So also uh, like cleaning up the deck list, why the hell are people not playing for Glissa? That is a good question. Dude, Glissa 
This is, you know, me trying to provide emphasis for communication, but is going to sound like it is dripping with hyperbole, but it's like, this is cracked. It's yeah. so good. First strike death touch is not a fair combination of abilities. But like and that, that on top of, I don't like hitting them and drawing cards or like hitting them, killing a planeswalker or whatever. And like enchantment, you know, a binding, like what, like, and killing a virtue. Like everyone's playing all these enchantments. Like it's super relevant. And like a lot of those decks are also playing shieldred. So like if they just like, if you're, if you're trading with their go for the throat, like that's kind of where you want to be. Yes, exactly. It is. It is a huge lightning rod. Whereas you play a trespasser and it's like kind of clocking you, but like maybe the ward ability is enough to disincentivize you away from like killing it would go for the throat. Yeah. So my three drops are four Glissa to Lord Skitter at the moment. And I think that that is where you want to be. Yeah. I'm not a, Fully sold on the Lord Skitter. It looked a little bit impressive, but I am all in on Glissa. Yeah, for for Glissa, like I, I will say, you know, I think you should be playing for Sunfall or whatever. But it, I believe it is mandatory that you play for Glissa because it is what you want to do on turn three every single game. You can make the argument for Liliana in some spots or whatever, but like I'm never gonna argue for for Liliana. You know, like. Yeah, you want for Glissa absolutely, especially like Glissa compared to like Sentinel of Lost Lore. Come on. So like, am I? Am I putting four Glissas in my shopping yes, cart right now? Yes. All right. All right. All right. I'm with you. I'm buying what you're selling. Yeah. Uh, so do that. I'm gonna. I'm gonna do a bunch of work still. Try and like hone this plan. Figure it out. And Anthony Lee's uh, sideboard has stuff like Ashiok Wicked Manipulator, second copy of Nissa's Ascended Animus, and it's like I think that these can all be things that maybe do Renin 7 into Breach the Multiverse type of stuff. And the Renin 7 has also uh, just, like, come up for me as, like, being a big, like, reach blocker and, and things like that, you know? So, like, it's not like it is specifically there for the ramp matchup. It might not have as much equity against the field as Nyssa, potentially, but... I think it's just like pretty versatile, pretty good and like does play into what your deck wants to do. And it's not like you need the breach to go along with it because you already have the virtues anyway. I'm with you. And also like all the creature lands and stuff and making sure your turtles hit things and whatever. It's just like the, the plan makes sense to me and I like where the deck is at now. And initially I was like, well, on paper ramp looks good. And, and talked to Cho about standard a little bit. And he was like, Oh, I just been playing this Golgari deck or whatever. And I, my, my, my initial reaction was like, all this is the like you at san diego thing and it's just yeah. like no it's not that at all well it could be it, it's just if you don't actually tweak it or adjust yeah yeah i mean and and that well first of all i think it is like not as bad it was as it was made out to be but also when you do tweak it it's just like oh this no this actually looks pretty good yeah and yeah you're right you're right for whatever it's worth that esper deck was good was fine for that event it just wasn't i had no edges yeah basically and yeah. I, I think that especially once you tweak this deck, tune in a little bit, it gets a lot better. I like a lot of these cards. They're all really powerful. You're proactive. You have, you know, all the good black cards. You know, you're going to get free wins off like Shieldred. You have good interaction, good removal, not just go for the throat, but stuff like, you know, the Terror Sunder or whatever. You have sweepers for opposing creature decks and like mono red and stuff. And initially... Playing best in one against mono red uh, can be pretty frustrating on arena, right? But like, yeah. I've gotten to a point where I'm I'm winning a lot more now than than I'm losing even in best of one. And I think that things just improve for you after sideboard too. So it's just like, man, this deck is good. I'm just very impressed after the the few changes that I made. Mono red, real or a trap? I I think that it is 
one of the level zero strats and for for worlds and i think that like domain ramp just kind of incidentally gets to beat up on it especially now with virtue but like you had herd migration and like archangel wrath and you stick a traxa and there's like lights out you know and then gets like way worse for them after sideboarding yeah uh, every match it had on camera it looked embarrassing yeah but i do think that there are a lot of good cards in that space especially now with witch stalker frenzy giving you a way to actually kill shieldred it's it's not just like oh you you lose automatically now and i still think that there's maybe a lot of interesting ways that you could build the deck where instead of being like this phoenix chick like i have to burn you out like monstrous rage kind of stuff like you can do the stuff that john emmanuel posted about like when the the battles came out where i think he had like I don't know if it's it's something Regatha. I don't know if it's Invasion of Regatha or whatever, but it was like using that to kill like another one of your battles, like Invasion of Tarkir, and just kind of like building a big board that way. I think that that sort of stuff is worth exploring. May may or may not be very good, but it's like it's not a thing that you necessarily like count out. And either way, it's a thing that you're gonna play against. So you should still respect it. Yep, makes sense. But copy pasting uh, like Marcio's mono red list from Worlds or whatever, like I'm not doing that. Yep. I was surprised how many people chose to play it and how bad it looked, but yeah. And like, um, virtue is just a card that is good. And like people put in their decks, you know, Yo, the virtues are great. I was like my, one of my first reactions with the set was like, there's no bone crusher giant. And while that might be somewhat true, like the virtues like really, really impressed me. Yeah. I don't know if it was you or, or Brian where we're talking about virtue of loyalty. Was this you? I don't think it was me. Yeah, I think it might have been like one of the initial previews with Brian. And he's just like, I was like, yo, I like this card a lot because it's like a thing to do early and then gives you a thing to like build towards late. Right. And yeah. he was just like, you know, lol, two, two for two or whatever. And I was just like, nah, man, it's, it's great. It's more, it's more than that. And it's just like, I, I am now kind of like having flashbacks to, when when I saw things like Bone Crusher Giant or whatever, where it's like, oh, both sides are kind of bad or whatever. And it's like, yeah, but you get both sides. Yep. Yep. T two slightly be below rate things put together is a good thing. Yeah. But also it being an instant in the context of this format specifically. When, oh, matter a lot. Yeah. A lot of the decks are like playing Make Disappear alongside with this. And you have Wedding Announcement to go with the Virtue and like context makes this card even much better. In the arena open, I had one of them in my sealed deck, which obviously was unbelievably good. Yeah, correct. But I played the entire event with it at sorcery speed. Because you didn't know? I just didn't know, and I didn't even think to look. I just assumed it was a sorcery. And then the first time I was watching the PT coverage and saw someone cast it at instant speed, I like double took. You're, you're just like, judge, wait, no, I'm the asshole. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I kind of did that with the... <laughs> Uh, Ratcatcher trainee. I was like, why is the adventure an instant? Doesn't make any sense. <laughs> no, it's just, it's like too juiced for limited, yeah. especially when like red is good and the Ratcatcher is already good. And like, I, I, I don't know if it's like a bug or a feature where it's like you get celebration kind of out of nowhere. Like there's not a lot of ways to do it, but you can do it. And I'm just like, this just makes it so trivial. And one of the first drafts I, I did with Cho over Discord, I kind of hyped up that interaction. And then sure enough, he plays like a grand ball guest on two. It's like two, two celebration plus one plus one trample and like attacks into their like one, three mana creature, the 
Strider Fawn or whatever. Yep. And Bones got just him. like snap blocks and it's just like <laughs> lol celebration, your thing dies. And it's like, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Like, how is this good? Like, how is this good for the format? I don't understand. Yep. It's Make also it like that would be a sorcery in like every other format. Yes. So like I, I don't know if it is a bugger feature of the format. I, I want to message Andrew Brown about a couple of things. Uh that being one of them. Not to not to like criticize him, but just like get his thoughts on it. Like I don't know if he was working on limited or not, but it was Yeah, like, like how did we get here? Like what was the logic? Yeah. yeah, like why is that an instant? But also like my my main point of contention is like what is supposed to be blue's best common? Well, yeah, we've talked about this. Yeah. Specifically, like that is my question, because it's like there are pretty obvious answers for a lot of the other colors, or at the very least, it's like, well, these three cards are all really good. They might not be A pluses, but they're all A's or whatever. And then for blue, it's just like, ah, you got a bunch of B pluses, I guess. And it's just like, what the hell happened? Yeah. It doesn't like, make a lot of sense. Like, yeah, was this purposeful? Like, are you trying to make a color bad? Every limited format or whatever? Recently, it seems like it's been blue a lot, but it I was feels just like, like blue's the best or the worst every time. Yeah. And, you know, maybe they're trying to overcompensate for like the times where it has been really good or whatever. I don't know. But like, I, yeah, I would guess, like the best I would guess it was probably the best late and then something changed. But who knows how much they're actually prepping for limited like that? Maybe not. Yeah. I mean, Treasure Cruise went from nine to eight at, at the last minute uh, because of limited. So and it, that it was lined up with dig and so much complication. But yeah. Yeah. And there, there was all like. That's one of the things that kind of frustrates me about some of the formats and a thing that I was sort of looking for when I, I was in R&D was just like when there are like redundant effects like that. And occasionally there's some where it's like, yeah, these are too similar. Like what one of them should change. Like that's pretty obvious. And then there are arguments for them being similar in the case of Dig and Cruise, I think, where Cruise should not have been going last pick in limited. Never. Right? But the second the second dig is less mana, it's probably getting played in every constructed format over it. Well, yeah, but in, in like in the case of constructed, it's like there's no reason why these cards should be like both pretty appealing and also very similar. Yep. But you can't so, do both. Yeah, so th like that was that was pretty interesting, but like yeah, treasure treasure cruise is, is, exists as is because of limited, which is kind of funny. Yeah, which I think is like not a thing that a lot of people know. I don't think I've talked. No, about No, I've never heard that before, but it makes sense now that you're saying it. But yeah, like, went, you know, went from nine to eight because of limited, uh, and now it's banned in legacy. Got it. Yeah, it, like the 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 last the last minute it was like us doing our offsite testing, and it was like a result of that, and like blue being kind of bad, and like also it going last pick every time, and you know, it was like oh, blue should get like a card advantage thing, and like if people are not playing this. Like blue should get a card advantage thing and blue is not performing very well. And this is supposed to be a thing that is supposed to like help blue. So like maybe knocking a mana off it does that. And I think it did accomplish those goals to be fair, but also, you know, wall for other yeah. formats. Anyway, got him. Uh, what, what else about standard and like world specifically? I mean, I loved worlds. I think there's, I could probably spend a whole episode talking about the coverage itself, but I would say, probably a long list of things that I still think could be improved, but overall I was reasonably happy with it. Yeah. No, me too. Some quick thoughts. Uh, fairies, kind of cool. Maybe we'll be good at some point. Definitely not good now. The fact that Shota had to splash the green-black creature land with no other green cards uh, just to make the deck kind of playable should say a lot. Like, clearly it is is lacking. It's an indicator a little, of a problem. A little something right now. Um, cauldron decks were, like, interesting and cool, but especially as I think the format gets solidified, the decks get refined a little bit like that deck probably gets worse. But like, this is the thing that we thought might happen for three year standard is like, there are more sets and like, 
there are potentially like just more combos that are going to exist, right? Yeah, with, with which I don't think is a bad thing. But no, it's it's great. I think it's awesome, and I think that they should have played into that more on coverage too. Yeah, I think as long as leyline binding is as played as it is right now, and as played as I think it will be, as long as it's in the format, like it's going to make some of these like artifacty enchantmenty things hard to really have be too powerful because there's just so much accidental collateral damage there. Yeah, I will say if you find a way to build the cauldron deck in a way that is not all in, like the mono blue one was all in and like maybe kind of like tempo-y, but not really. And then the the green blue one was like a little bit more interesting because it had like mid-range, like a lot of card advantage rampy sort of stuff. Like I'm just trying to not die and I'll kill you eventually. I think that that's a, definitely a step in the right direction. But if you find a way to make it like a reasonable deck with a backup plan, then that's cause for concern, you know? Yes. I played around with Recto Sacrifice a little bit. Uh, do not recommend. Not very good. Um, what else we got here? Slesnia Enchantments. No. Nope. Uh, little, little small ball. No, friends don't recommend enchantments to other friends. Yeah, fair. Oh, in the the invasion of Alara style ramp decks, not good. No, no, that was all a scam. Yeah, really, really not good. Basically, farm them on ladder as the the normal ramp deck by just keeping up a leyline binding. It's like they do their invasion combo thing, and cemetery desecrator targeting the invasion. You just like binding their their invasion, and like the whole house of cards just kind of crumbles. Hmm. So I, I think their win rate is going to be determined specifically by the amount of invasions they draw because like that is, you know, a thing that can happen. They can just like overwhelm you in that regard. But like if you know enough to just either, you know, binding the invasion, keep up mana for that or, you know, after sideboard, like you just have counter spells or whatever. It's just like it's kind of a joke. Uh, Simon's deck. Actually, we should talk about that. Oh, I played a bunch of it. Did you like it? I wanted to like it so badly, and every time I won, it was a grind, and I felt clever and smarter than my opponent. And every time I lost, I questioned how I got here. Yeah, uh, I think that that is pretty accurate. Again, like pretty small ball in a field where people are doing like pretty powerful stuff, and then you're also, in a lot of instances, just like putting a bunch of one ones into play, and you need some payoff for that, and that doesn't necessarily always come together. Yeah, it felt like razor thin margins. And I will yeah. also say that like watching Simon play it on coverage, which is something I watched closely as I was playing games with it, like he did a lot of weird things. Do you think they were good weird things or bad weird things? I will only assume that they were good. But like Cuz he won a lot. Oh, he won a bunch. And I have to there's there's I'm not for a second going to sit here and tell you that he was wrong. Because he was like not, and this is the one of my single biggest complaints about coverage: the amount of time Simon had to make disappear and did not make disappear a spell that I would have countered so fast was way too high. Oh, well, I think that that specifically is a pretty easy thing that you can tell at least after the fact, like whether or not that was right or wrong, right? I think so. And like, like the the difference is like, and I listen. There are definitely spots, and I'm definitely one where like, you know. Winning by a little and winning by a lot is still a win, right? So I, I love to kind of like bleed out those last handful of percentages and not counter a spell if I think I can beat it otherwise. But like, you know, he really pushed the needle on that. I, I kind of love that. I'll, I'll, I'll go back and find a few spots and show you because the, the, a few of them are crazy. 
Yeah, no, that's awesome. Please do that. Cause like I was I was watching coverage, but not necessarily paying a lot of attention. And like, okay, this is this is my saga with these sorts of decks. I was initially not very high on soldiers because it seemed like very one-dimensional. I saw that Simon was playing soldiers, wrote it off, haha, whatever. Not Simon, one-dimensional. Simon crushes the tournament. I I'm like, okay, whatever, haha, soldiers. Looking through the list of the, the tournament paying more attention to the things that are unique and interesting. I see Alexander Haynes list. Have you seen this deck? No. Go look. He went three and five. Azorius tokens. It's labeled. Yep. Which is honestly accurate. Tell me what you think. I think he got tricked. And when I say that I've, I've, I've tested with Hain for a good number of events and there's too many random one ofs and not cleanliness here for this to be a Hain creation wholeheartedly. One spell pierce, one memory deluge, one protect the negotiators. Like, I just can't imagine him doing this. But the rest of it, okay. All of his card choices make complete sense to me. And I think this, this is a very well-built version of this deck. Kind of like what I said about your Esper Legends deck. It's like, I think this deck is bad. But I think that this is a well-built version of this deck after playing games with it. Except for, and I'm very confused by this, the one eater of virtue. I don't understand. Yeah, I, <laughs> I have to read it. Oh, I know I know what this card does. I just think it is terrible and doesn't really belong here. And if your goal is to like, oh, I want to make my tokens better or whatever, I feel like there are a million other ways that you could do this. But, okay, so the the nut draw for this, and this is, you know, I have not seen Alex play a game with this. I have not talked to him about it. He's not posted anything about it. It was just like, you know, he silently, like, silently goes three and five in this tournament. But like, I pay attention, right? The nut draw, as I can see it, is turn two, Regal Bunnycorn, turn three, Invasion of Segovia, Immediately attack it and transform it. Which means, wait, don't we need to do more than that? Don't we need one more permanent? No, because you have the battle. Oh, the battle counts as well. Oh, so the invasion turns our bunny into a 4-4 immediately. Yes. Got it. And then now the backside is, so, okay, invasion of Segovia, 2U, battle, uh, 4 defense or whatever it's called. Uh, ETBs create two one one blue Kraken creature tokens with trample lol. Not flyers oh. though. Blue battle, no flying. Yep. Backside three three non creature spells you cast have convoke at the beginning of your end step. Untap up to four target creatures. Now so we're going to cast an invasion of Phyrexia, new Phyrexia. Yes, there are three of those in this deck. So now all you're making some tokens. All of your non-creature spells have Convoke. You have things like Wandering Emperor, all your counter spells, the one of Memory Deluge that kind of sits at the top end a little bit. I, like I said, like a lot of these things make sense now, like after playing with the deck. But yeah, Invasion of New Phyrexia is mainly the big payoff in addition to like the four bunnycorns in his list. Invasion of Segovia specifically, we talked about in uh, the previous show with Brian where I was just like, ah, I don't know. This is like kind of tempting. You know, it's like a lot of cardboard giving your non-creature spells convoke, like maybe, maybe kind of cracked in the right circumstance. And Brian's just like, nah, fam, you know? And I'm just like, so I saw this list and I was immediately like, oh man, did like Alex break it? Is he doing it? Cause I was also invested in like invasion of Segovia being good. Anyway, the, the short version of this is Alex's deck. I think this is no shade to Alex. Love him. Much respect. Think he's very smart. Maybe his deck is actually good, but I'm going to say this anyway. I think his deck is basically worse than what Simon's deck is doing, at least once I actually looked at Simon's deck list. Because after playing with Alex's deck, ironically enough, a lot of the changes I made to it and a lot of the things that I tried 
were things that put it more in line with what Simon was doing, up to and including like Lunark Veteran and like Knight Errant of Eos or Knight Captain of Eos, whatever it's called. Uh, Knight Errant of Eos. Both of those cards were incredibly impressive for me. Yes. And <laughs> I was just like, I don't know. I'm making a lot of tokens. I kind of want a one drop like to pump up the bunny corns. Uh, let's try this Lunark Veteran thing. And I was like, oh, this this card is cracked. This is incredible. And yeah. I was like, oh, I'm making some tokens. I don't want to be like super reliant on Invasion of Segovia. I want like another thing to do. It's like, well, the Night Captain's good, but like you need more creatures and like, you know, oh, the the soldier raised the alarm too is like another card that I added. Yeah, you know? awesome card. So, so I, I just like make my deck kind of be like a bad version of Simon's without the soldier stuff. And then I look at Simon's deck list. I'm like, huh. Okay, I get it now. This is not actually soldiers. It's not. And that's the way he described it too. I, I don't know if you've heard him in the interview. He said it's yeah. not an aggro deck, it's a combo deck. Yeah, and I I wouldn't say combo deck, but it's like it's definitely a synergy deck, right? Yep. I would have described it as like a Delvery tempo-y deck. It it does it does play out th that way. Like that is the way that you win a lot of the games, you know? But I think that uh a lot of the th things that cause you to win that aren't literally reducing your opponent to zero is the synergy inherent with the deck and just like convoking knight errant drawing some cards gaining life off the veteran making sure you don't die insulating yourself by going over the top stuff with make disappear stuff and then like recycling the knight errant with zephyr sentinels and things like that yeah you, know? you can do some silly stuff yeah so you are you're winning games by delvering but i think you're more so winning games by accomplishing a lot of that stuff and like maybe you don't accomplish that stuff and you still tempo them out with like Zephyr Sentinels or whatever but yeah yeah I'm, I'm honestly like kind of surprised to not see any of the white virtues in Simon's deck I was also so like that is why I was doing like Alex sort of things just without like a soldier package but like I was still playing some of the soldier land because I still had some soldiers but Zephyr Sentinel, I think, is a big add because of the recycling of the Knight Errant once you like get to Knight Errant as a thing. Yeah. And then it's just like, do you need like Harbin and Yoshin Frontliner? Like, are are those actually good for the deck or are those simply there for curve filling considerations and to uh, fulfill fortified beachhead clauses and stuff? Or is there something else you could do like playing White Virtues, which also kind of like feed into the same game plan? Yeah. And their recruitment officers, I also feel like, are weirdly out of place, despite how, like, relatively pushed that card is. Of, like, you have so many things to do with your mana. I just don't know when you're ever spending four mana to activate this thing. When when things are going poorly. But also, I, I do think that with the Knight Errants and that being a big point in your deck, like, you just want more one drops. Yeah. So you need to play ones. But you're basically, this is more of a Savannah Lions than anything else. Yeah. And I, I think you do want ones. Maybe there's a thing that, that is better. Like, I think... Lunark Veteran is awesome. And if there was more stuff like that, then I would be more on board. But I think Recruitment Officer is just simply the next best one. Happens to be a Mana Sink, happens to be a Soldier, and like those things are cool, but I don't think that those are why it's there necessarily. Yeah. I think it might like, have been Simon's top eight match. He he led on turn one, he played Fortified Beachhead, had to reveal a Soldier, revealed a Recruitment Officer, and then played a Lunark Veteran. Yeah. Against Esper. I was just floored. He valued gaining one life over dealing one damage. Yeah. Which but, just well, immediately put me in a weird spot where I'm like, I don't get it. 
Oh, no, I, I would 100% do that, too. Really? Think about how you're winning those games. It's not like nickel and diming, like winning races with your recruitment officer or whatever. No, I more wanted to deal like, the extra damage. I just thought, you know. And that that's what I'm saying is like the the life that you gain is more valuable than the damage you deal your opponent. Yeah. And I, I think this is where like I was still looking at it like in a, a soldier's deck and that's a mistake. Yeah. And if we just label this as blue white stuff and not Azurius soldiers, I think that my perspective would change quite a bit. Yep. And I was allergic to the soldier stuff because I didn't want to do like Harbin things. Because I like once you put the virtues in the deck, you're like less likely to achieve the Harbin clause, which I think is it's it's a luxury more than anything. Like, yes, it like you do want ways to like maybe pump up your tokens at some point, And Harbin does technically fulfill that. But it's not a necessity, you know, it's just, it's just there. Like if you get there, you get there. Cool. But it's not, you know, oh. it, not yeah. all of your things have to be soldiers. At least in the games that he played that I saw and the, the games that I played, the Harbin activated more than it did for me ever historically before. And I've played a pretty good amount of like the older, more all in blue white soldiers deck. Right. But that's uh, because going all in means that that gets activated way less than having just night errant and playing longer games. Yep. That's you just exactly end up with it. more soldiers this way. Yep. So it makes sense. Yeah. So the you, you just play longer games because like you're gonna maybe like draw more cards, build a better board position than them, and like kill them mostly by overwhelming them. I don't think you're gonna beat them in any races necessarily. Yes, I would agree with that. So now um, are you on board with the veteran over officer? I think so, but I still am not in love with it. And like, I think it's probably right, but like, doesn't make me feel like it makes it, this makes me feel like my brain is too small to be in the place like this. Okay. I think you just need to play like more soul sisters type stuff. Maybe. <laughs> and I would yeah. argue, I would argue that's not something I'm really looking to do with my life. Yeah. You're like, I don't, I, I wouldn't say I need to do it. Yeah. You know, but yeah. like, <laughs> It's not really a place I ever hoped to be, you know? <laughs> yeah. But like, you know, if you had more experience with those decks, you kind of understand where it's like, yeah, you eventually kill them with damage. But you're but not like, actually a damage deck. Yeah, you know, it's not not where you're getting most of your equity from. It's like getting that extra turn, that extra draw step, that extra like untap step and being yeah. able to use your mana additionally on an extra turn. You know, it's like the, that is going to translate to you winning more games than uh, having a 2-1 instead of a 1-1. One, one on, yeah. On turn one. I also just like, I, I don't know if I could ever play a deck that has this few answers to Shieldred. It just like feels too bad. Yeah, but again, like I, I think the plan is just you kind of go over the top of Shieldred. Oh, I know that's the plan, and I think it's a valid plan. I just think it's for other people and not for me. Yeah, and that's that's reasonable. That's valid. It's yeah. fair. You know, there's two destroy evils in the sideboard. It's like, yeah, maybe I want to kill this sometimes, you know, but, like, you don't need to kill it always. Yeah, not for me. Yeah, I, I think uh, Soldiers is correct because there's definitely over 20 Soldiers in the deck or whatever, and there's, like, the Soldier typo land or whatever but yeah, there's the soldier land there's the harbin there's a lot of cards that say if you have soldiers good stuff happens yeah but it's a misnomer you know and i, I think you're right there's I, soldiers there's knights there's humans man there's all all types of different characters here the the sideboard uh takasi is welcome also plays into that a lot where i think that that is going to be a focal point in a lot of matchups you know and it just like plays into overall what simon was doing and was trying to do and it's just like Basically, the soldier stuff exists because of the blue-white land and because of Zephyr Sentinel and be nothing else, you know? Fair. 
But I, I think this deck rules, but is also a little too like small ball-y for where I want to be. And I think I just have better options. I, but I, I, I ordered right a lot of these cards though. So there's that yeah. too. But Golgari, I'm going to try and like solidify this Golgari list and like get a list out to people. Cause it's like, that is, that is definitely my front runner for Dallas. All right. We'll put some black green cards in the shopping cart. Yeah, do that. Definitely get some some Rens and breach the multiverses or whatever, you know, seven drop you think is going to kick Domain Ramp's ass. All right. I'm with you. Cool. Uh, I think we're at this point well over two hours. Uh, hell of a show, man. I think that this was awesome. It was great. Magic's back. I, I wouldn't say that. but Jerry's back. Jerry is back. That is definitely true. All it took was for me to get like not not deathly ill, but like mildly inconvenienced ill, I guess, and just like sit at home and play arena and watch world coverage and like have reasons to play the formats. You know, that's all it takes, really. That's all it takes. Just a little bit of incentive, man. It doesn't take a lot to get us going. You just you give me that back to back itch, you know, and it's like, yeah. oh, look, look what happens. I got a lot of shit to say. Yeah. Also, there go. was there was a, uh, on one of the days, I think it was on Sunday, like a 9 a.m. PTQ where I was like, oh, maybe I'll play in this. Uh, so like that is when I started doing a lot of the standard work. And then I just got into like that state of hyper focus where I played standard for six hours with all the different decks. And then it was like 7 a.m. And I was like, I should go to bed and also not play in this PTQ. <laughs> <laughs> Practice too much to actually be awake for the tournament. Yeah. So Played yourself out of it. Whatever. It just meant that I am super prepped for 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 Dallas already. I am way ahead of the game. Um, I'm already like gold one on ladder. No big deal. You know, just cutting it up. Yeah. Uh, which is good for exactly nothing. But, you know, I, I like I like just knowing stuff, you know, and it's like I, I like it when people message me and I immediately have an answer. All right. I like that. So more messages. I'm not saying message me more, but it's like if I do get a message, I want to be able to like help the person. You want to know what you're talking about. Yeah. 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 And I, not I wanna, and communicate well. Exactly. I want to do more than just, you know, kind of like steer you in the wrong direction like I did for San Diego, I guess. Hey, you try you you had a valiant effort, okay? It was it was equally my fault. As always, you can do things better, and that yeah. is what I strive to do, and it's like, you know, don't don't want to like beat myself up too much and like have regrets over it or whatever. Cause it's like, that's a learning experience and that's valid and, and important, right? Like that is a good thing to have happened because I know that I'm going to do better in the future. Right. So it's like, I don't look back on these things as like failures or whatever, but it's just like knowing that I can always do better and improve at everything is kind of awesome. And is what I like doing in life. I don't know. Touche game. Good luck.